Hey, Ken. Hello, what's up? Uh, hi. Oh, God. Are you moving at 100 miles per hour? Okay, hold on. Uh, Sony, who was once attending PAX East. <laughs> no, kidding. I'm not Ben Shapiro. I'm not going to talk that fast. Sony. Good. Who. You're not nearly short enough. That's true. Yeah. I'm pretty short, though. Who is to be attending PAX East mm-hmm. this year? You. Uh, would be me as well, yeah. along with Sony, uh-huh. to be attending PAX East this year. Is just came out today. Uh, recording bubble. We're, this is a Wednesday. You'll hear this on Friday. You so. already knew it. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> they announced that they're not attending PAX this year. And everybody like, why? Well, here's why. I'm going to read their official statement. Today, Sony Interactive Entertainment made the decision to cancel its participation at PAX East in Boston this year due to increasing concerns related to COVID-19, also known as the coronavirus. We felt this was the safest option as the situation is changing daily. We are disappointed to cancel our participation in this event, but the health and safety of our global workforce is our highest concern. Now, a lot of people out there going like, but like, why? It's not like it's, it's not like it's gonna be that big of a deal, right? Well, a lot of Sony staff travels to and from China like a whole lot. Okay. And they not only don't want to risk the health and safety of their employees going to packs, and like kind of the reason why like I'm also gonna be a little more like. Hourly concerning at PAX this year. Like, every time I touch a controller to play a demo, I'm going to, like, hand sanitize and shit like that. I should have been doing that before, and I Probably didn't last fair. year. Yeah, you should just be careful anyway. Cons are breeding grounds for, hey, you're sick now. I got super lucky last year and didn't get sick at all. And, but I feel like I was lucky. I've never been to a con as big as PAX. It's huge. But every big con I've ever been to, I got sick. Just because, you know, you're touching so many things that other people have touched. You're, you're touching, dude, you're touching controllers. That people have touched. You don't know where their fucking hands have been. Right. And, like, it's the same people every single... Like, there's, like, a bunch of different people every day, and they're all touching the same fucking controller. Yeah. Like, that could be that could be really bad. And I understand, especially with, like, the coronavirus being around and being as bad as it is, with Sony, like, Sony employees going to and from China so much. A lot of people probably coming... There's probably people coming from China to PAX East this year. I can understand their concern. What's going to be interesting because of that is Sony, every single year at PAX, has, like, this really big booth. It's huge. And it's just not going to be there now. And there's just going to be nothing there. I hope they could fill the space up with another publisher that comes in and fills that space. Yeah. Because, like, it's a big space there every year. Like, last year they had a huge-ass Days Gone display with, like, people in, in, like, in like zombie makeup and shit. So like, they're probably going to go all out for The Last of Us too. Oh yeah, yeah. They were gonna do like a full, probably do like a full Last of Us Two environment thing, and it was gonna be cool as fuck. And I'm sad that they're not gonna be there. It's something I probably would have been willing to stand in line for three hours to do. Yeah. And would do that for nothing else. You could at least see some of the cool stuff installations. Right. Oh, it was really cool to see this stuff walking by. Sony goes all out. They had a really nice. Uh, also last year they had this really nice booth for Dreams, where like it was like a really chill environment, and it was like a like they had like like a story like throw rug thrown down and you can sit on beanbag chairs and then like make a level that's cool it's really fun these people get really creative it's sad to not see sony be there this year but i understand i'm just wondering where they're even going to be at this year in general yeah because we have the other news that is unrelated to any 
massive, terrible viruses that are happening. Yeah, they're not going to be at E3. Uh, they're not going to be at E3. And maybe uh, a lot of people aren't going to be at E3. I, I don't know. Uh, we know Microsoft's going to be there. The Dorito Pope, Jeff Keighley, is declining to attend, which is uh, actually a big deal. Yeah, he's, he's, he's been, been there, there for, like, years. Since the beginning. Him not going is almost as big of a deal as PlayStation, like, basically not going ever again. Yeah. At least it seems like it. He does, uh... He does a lot of... A lot of people meme on Jeff Keighley for, like, the Game Awards yeah, shit. Yeah, he's an important figurehead guy. He does a lot of really important shit for the games industry as a whole. Like, yeah. You can't discredit him. He's the reason we have a video game awards in general. And I'm like, I mean, you could, like, argue whether that's necessary or not. But it, it's important for a lot of people. I think it is. And it's important for the industry sometimes because they have a avenue to release trailers in and build hype in. They have that everywhere. I actually, as time goes on, I get a little less, like, welcoming of the amount of fucking just ads that are in the Game Awards. <laughs> yeah, it's become more about the ads than giving awards to people at this right. point, which kind of sucks. I agree. Like, for example, like, we just watched all these other awards ceremonies recently, like the Oscars and stuff, right? Yeah, it's it's about the Oscars. Still. Right. How many, uh, how many Chick Hydra bots were at the Oscars? Buddy? Thankfully, none. Uh-huh. That's what I'm saying. The only advertising happening at the Oscars was like local, like like. Well, it does have actual commercials, but so do the Game Awards. Right. Well, those so. are those are like actual like, you know, network advertisements. Yes. It's not like during the production of the Oscars they just like drop a trailer for a new movie. Because that's what that is. Yeah, basically, it's a, it's a different industry in general. It'd be so weird if the Oscars did that. Right. Especially because the movies that get nominated for Oscars would not be the movies that people are hyped to see trailers for. It's a little different for games. Yes. The big AAA best-selling stuff is the stuff that ends up getting awards and things. For the most part, yeah. As opposed to, you know, the indie darlings being usually the, the ones that, I guess, get awards for the Oscars. It's not necessarily a one-to-one comparison I'm making here. Because obviously a lot of those movies are big studio productions. I don't. I don't mean to say indie darling, but I. But I do mean like it's not like their Avengers Endgames wins the Best Picture because it right. won the most money. Uh, whereas that's a little more possible in the video game industry. Sort of. And like you don't see, but you don't see Call of Duty or Madden like getting Game of the Year ever. No, not every year. But what won was certainly a game that was a huge game that sold a lot of copies and everybody oh, yeah. talked about. Usually, usually. Yeah, like Breath of the Wild. And- Shit like that. Yes. I hope you have fun at PAX. Yeah, actually... Despite Sony not being there. Yeah, so we'll record... Just to get this out there before we start the episode proper here. Um, I am going to PAX. I'm going to PAX East, which will be, you know, a week from when this episode's airing. Um, So, our episode... We're going to record our next episode early. Because of that. So, there might be some stuff that's like a couple days extra out of date. Yeah, uh, hopefully everything will be cool and we won't have a delay in the span of time. The delay for last uh, episode was my fault. My bad. Sorry. You're welcome. But other than that, hopefully we'll be just be back on track. Because yeah. we are a professional production here on our 71st episode, I think. 72nd. 71 was last week. Was it? Pretty sure, yeah. 69 was Batman and Robin, 70 was Catwoman, 71 was Harley Quinn, so 72. Yeah, 72, 72, yeah. Cool, all right, yeah. Professional production. We know everything that's going on. Everything's fine. 
Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Oh, oh shit! Oh no! <laughs> I don't know if you actually unplugged anything by being an asshole. Oh uh, no, no, I didn't. We're okay. <laughs> oh god, my 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 hands are on fire. Oh no. and idiots welcome to the get and jump show that's gen hi and i'm an idiot jub that's that's the idiot welcome to show this is show today we watched the batman the begins we did we watched batman be gone yeah begin (laughs) batman be gone thought yeah dude oh uh, talk, talk to the kids for a second. I gotta do something. It was way better than I remember. Hell yeah! It, it, it really was. Like I, I'm, uh, I'm pretty okay with this. I'm pretty excited to talk about it. Um, we'll see where it lands on the scale of things. I'm gonna try real hard to put it right up at the top, buddy. We'll see. We'll discuss it. You may be able to convince me. I'm not sure. Anyway. Let's talk about other crap and then transition into it. Okay. Uh, probably poorly. As we always do. So you've been playing randomizers, basically. Right, so I pl- I'm playing a different randomizer right now, though. I've mm. been playing the, uh, yeah, I've been playing the Ocarina of Time randomizer, and normally I've been playing the Link to the Past Super Metroid Combo randomizer. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm a fucking mess today. Josby dropped his dick. Oh. We'll drop it again. No. Fuck. You. Oh no. Yeah, I'm playing the Zelda Ocarina of Time uh, randomizer, and that's been an interesting time. Does it make you hate Ocarina of Time more, or like it more? It's a little bit of both. <laughs> so I kind of feel the exact same way. Yeah, there are some things about it that kind of make me realize, man, this game is so fucking dated. I was playing a lot of Mario sixty four randomizer, and it kind of gives me similar vibes, but. Oot is worse, way worse, because the controls for Mario 64 are pretty good. Yeah, the controls for Ocarina of Time are, like, finicky. There's so many things you could do in that game to get stuff early that is not intended, that just make it feel more broke than it should be. Which, I mean, but, like, the thing is, you could set it up in the logic for that game where that's not possible. Yes. Which is what I'm doing, because obviously I don't know anything. Like, I'm just going in this. Like, I've, I've beaten Ocarina of Time plenty of times. Like, I know how it works, but I don't know, it, like, any speedrun tricks, really. Right. I mean, I'm iffy on a lot of things. Um, I haven't really tried one myself. I've been kind of, like, doing them a bit here and there with uh, your brother. Yeah. But... I don't really... I'm not confident enough to do it myself yet because I'm really bad at some of the minigames. I'm really bad at movement. Yeah, movement is... Movement in that game is really hard. Well, if you're racing against somebody, you gotta do that backwards walk garbage and, like... like, uh, 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 That's all all about just, like, knowing, like, where to put yourself. Yeah, I don't in that game. Neither do I, though, to be fair. I'm a a little better at the movement in Mario 64. Yeah. For sure. Moving in that game is so strange. That's... I definitely, I'll tell you what, like, I've been, I'm having fun doing this. Uh-huh. I think it's a good time, like, seeing all the different things you could do and, like, 
the weird shit that happens because uh, there's there's a lot of different types of items in yes. this one compared to like oh my god compared to a link to the past for example where like you can get like ice traps as an item yeah you get a couple chickens yeah like it's pretty wild the stuff you can get and that makes it a little more in- interesting because you get something you're like what the fuck but yeah. me and me and um, your brother Josh did bomb chew bowling one time and our prize was being called a fool and getting frozen and right. de- getting damage dealt to us. So me and Josh, That's great. yeah. So me and my, Josh, my brother, are doing a uh, a multi world run for that. So we both have a shared world. We well, not a shared world, but we have our separate a world pool of yeah, shared drops. pool of items. Right. So yeah. all our stuff gets mixed in with each other, but it puts it in a logic where we can still you know both get through the game. Okay. And. Uh, but the thing, like, what's funny about it is if you find if you find an ice trap, you find the ice trap for somebody else. So, like, they could be in the middle of doing something and you just get hit by the ice trap. Oh, no. That sucks. Then I, <laughs> I did that. really fuck them. I did that to him yesterday where <laughs> I just opened a chest and it was like, it was like, Josh is a fool. And then, and then he just, like, he was hanging out and he's just like, wait, what the fuck? And he got frozen. Damn. It was really good. I want to get good enough to try Skull Sanity. Fuck that. You don't like it? No. It's a cool idea. I just think it's a... Uh, it's a lot. It is. Like, you have to you have to get good at that game to do Skull Sanity. You do. And I have no interest in getting good at Ocarina of Time. That is, I that just want to beat it games. once. I don't have to beat it ever again. It's going to take you a long-ass time, buddy. Well, I've beat Ocarina of Time 100%. Right. So I would just have to do that again, I guess. You do much less in than a wrong that, order. Right. <laughs> Which is fine. You do much less than that, but you kinda learn you play these randomizers enough, you kinda learn where every drop is. And then yeah. you can basically hundred percent the game like in a normal context, which is funny. Yeah, yeah. Um I could I could definitely do that with a link to the past now. And Super Metroid. Which like going into that randomizer, I was a Super Metroid any percent runner. So I didn't give a fuck where the other items were. Just the ones that I knew I needed to get to do the run. Right. So this has kind of taught me where everything is at Super Metroid, and I kind of have it memorized because I've done it so many times. Right. And the same goes for Link to the Past. I don't have time. I have no fucking clue. I'm like, my face is stuck to the tracker. <laughs> and like, I'm trying to figure out like, what's the optimal way to go do certain things. Like, I'm making a lot of really bad decisions while playing it. Yeah. And the thing about Ocarina of Time is the trek between a lot of drops is so much that it could be like really troublesome to do it. You gotta plan out a route better than any other game with a yeah. randomizer probably. Oh yeah. Routing is so important in that game because it, there's so much distance between everything because it's this big ass 3D game. There's a link to the past like especially if you get like the flute or something like you, you could travel really fast between areas and do a lot of different drops. It's not the case in Ocarina of Time. And like it's a good game still. It's a great game. Yeah. Ocarina of Time is one of the best games ever made. But goddamn, sometimes I'm playing it, and I'm like, this game plays like shit. God help me. And I don't get that feeling with Link to the Past. And so, Link to the Past, superior randomizer, fight me. I probably wouldn't argue it. I'm just not as familiar with that game either. Yeah, it's far easier. I believe it. far easier than Rocking of Time. It only took me like... Like, about, like, two months to learn A Link to the Past. And I'm pretty fast at it now. Okay. But 
Ocarina of Time will probably take me like over a fucking year, like it does for our one friend who plays it. He's been he's been like racing in that game for like over a fucking year, and he's he still like doesn't place that well. Oh yeah, Nathan Kuiper. Kuiper don't care. Yeah, Twitch.tv slash Kuiper don't don't care. Go follow him. Actually, might be uh doing a run of that on stream with him. Cool. Soon at some point, where basically him and his chat could just point and laugh at me because I'm really slow. Yeah, yeah, it'll yeah. be a good yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. Has you been playing anything else again? Uh, I, I know there's something you want to talk about. God, lay it down. I know there's a game you want to talk about. I beat Doctor Decker. Uh huh. We've talked about this which last. We talked week. about last week. Right. Go ahead. What happened? <sighs> All right. Let me. Let me. I'll just. <laughs> Ugh. Oh. Okay. So that game uh, starts out not very interesting. But I was like, you know what? I'll power through it. It's It at least like interested me enough to keep playing it. Because it uh, has a five-day structure. So you have to interview all of your patients. Get them to green status before you move on if you're trying to get the platinum trophy, which I was, and you can't use any hints. So, as I previously described, this is a game where you have a bunch of patients who have various insane, unlikely supernatural problems, somewhat Lovecraftian, and you are asking them questions that the game generates for you. Right. And once you are out of those, you have to type in questions yourself to ask them. And these questions are prompted via clues from their statements they answered previously, which you can rewatch. For example, you'll ask somebody, how are you today? And that statement, you can replay it, and it'll have a little asterisk next to it. And that means that statement they just gave has a clue in it that you need to ask them about. And if they say, oh, I'm fine, and you think they're not fine, for example... You have to, like, ask, like, are you sure you're fine? Question mark. Some, uh, just an example. I'm just yeah. pulling it out of my ass. That doesn't even happen in the game. Right. So, as the game progresses, things get more drastically insane to the point where it seems your player character questions uh, anything that's happening, whether it is real, whether he's going insane or what, because all of these five characters, the main characters. There's other people you interview throughout the game as well. The, the core five, six, rather. Okay. Um, but mainly, there's five and then there's your assistant, who you also interview. But the core five all have a weird super ability. There's Nathan. He believes that he lives... A Groundhog Day-esque scenario where he keeps reliving the same day over and over and over and over again until he does something drastically different and then the day moves forward finally. You have um, Bryce, who is really insane and unhinged and believes that every night at midnight he has a free hour that doesn't exist where time is frozen until an hour has passed and then it resumes at midnight as if nothing happened. And he can, you know, steal shit and do whatever he wants. And he does several creepy things that I won't discuss. Uh, Claire, who killed her husband and then reanimated her husband back to life because she felt bad about it. And uh, Ellen, who works at a nursing home. And she 
shifts into another person to make her patients feel better as they are dying. And maybe also kills her patients, but it wasn't sure. But I wasn't sure about that by the time I ended the game. And the last person is Mariana, who is a turbo thought. <laughs> uh, High speed turbo thoughts. No, nah, she's like a uh, very seductful uh, young redhead who is kind of like a mermaid. She uh, people follow her into the ocean, into the deep, and then. Uh, you find out very late in the game, spoilers for a crappy game you shouldn't play, uh, that she probably feeds them to a Cthulhu. Oh. Uh, something like that. Oh. Okay. So. She's a cultist. You may be thinking, how does this game end? And throughout the game, you find out that your objective is to find out who killed Dr. Decker, who you replaced as a psychiatrist for these patients. Who killed Dr. Decker? Dr. Decker seems like a pretty terrible person from how you're talking to all these people about him. And he seems to possibly, because he believed in psychokinetic energy, give all these people their powers because he suggested the possibility to them. And psychokinetic energy, as they describe it in this game, lets people, you know, warp reality just because they believe it is possible. So Decker believes these people have these abilities or something... And then enhances them by believing in blah, 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 blah. That sounds like a really flimsy premise. It's very convoluted and doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It sounds flimsy as fuck. It makes so much not sense that the game doesn't make sense of it by the end. Oh, great. So the way this game ends is on the fifth day, you have to, basically unprompted from any event in the game. I was expecting this to tie together better, but they felt very slapdashed. You have to accuse somebody of killing Dr. Decker. One of the five patients or your assistant. It could be any one of them. And it could be any one of them to the degree that this is random for every person's playthrough. Oh. I was reading a guide here and there because this game uh, is fairly frustrating with its prompts sometimes. Like, you'll be trying to ask somebody a question that you know probably is the question you have to ask, but it'll keep saying you asked the wrong thing. So you have to ask very specific things, and sometimes. So I had to look up things. It's the point-and-click syndrome. Like, yeah. But, like, it could be user error, and it could be developer error. <laughs> it's like, uh... Like, if you wanted to ask someone about, uh, I don't know. Let's say... Uh... Dr. Decker. Yeah. Maybe you can't just say Decker, question mark. You would have to say... How did you feel about Dr. Decker doing this? And then specifically have all these keywords in it. So finding that is sometimes an awful time unless you have a guide in front of you. So Wait. yeah, I used a guide sometimes. Sue me. <laughs> the game's not worth my patience. I'm calling my lawyer, bitch. <laughs> I'm dialing him up right now. Let's go. So you get to the end of the game. There is supposedly things that happen to your playthrough that would be a clue to who the killer is for you. I did not find any that stood out to me because the killer was the, my fifth choice for who did it. Because I was leaning towards Ellen because I encountered a moment where I couldn't get her to progress. A guide told me that 
You have to answer this question she asks and say, yes, you are a good person. That did not prompt any response. So I thought about it and I said, you are a bad person instead. And then she responded to that. So I was like, hmm, my playthrough is different than this walkthrough I'm reading. Ellen is probably the killer for me. Was not the case. Was not the case at all. Ellen was not the killer for me. <laughs> uh, Nathan was the killer, which was very weird to me, because I suspected Nathan the least, and he was actually my favorite of the characters. Not that anybody is strong. The acting is poor across the board. But Nathan seemed to be the best of the five and the least crazy. So I kind of liked him. It's kind of a shame that he did it. But then the really weird thing is when you accuse him, when you accuse anybody, yeah. you get a cutscene of them saying, oh, I didn't do it, basically. It's yeah. longer than that. But So then because I'm trying to go for the Platinum Trophy, I have to close the game, re-download a save that I have on the cloud, and then choose somebody else. Because in order to get the Platinum Trophy, you have to guess who did it with your first guess. You cannot do it with your second guess. <laughs> you have as many guesses as you want in the base game, but in order to get the Platinum Trophy, uh, you got to be your first guess. Right. Which means every time I'm wrong, I have to close the game, re-download the save file, go back into the game, wait for the game to load, load my save, <laughs> Something select somebody else. And it was my fifth choice, so it took forever. And then I chose Nathan, and I was like, what the fuck, it's not Nathan either? Because Nathan's statement was angry at me for choosing him because he was like, I didn't do it, Decker killed himself, actually. And I was like, oh, wait, that actually makes sense because it lines up with a couple other people's statements that Decker killed himself. Because a, a couple other of the patients suggested that as an option. But then it said I caught the killer, which was the text I was waiting to see appear on the screen to know that I had the right thing and could finally, you know, progress to the ending. So Nathan was technically the killer for me, even though he wasn't. He was just basically pinned for the crime by Dr. Decker unintentionally because Decker killed himself. And then the game just ends with no real resolution to any of that. Oh, great. Uh, it just shows you some interviews with the other patients who are basically claiming that most of the things they had were mostly massive delusions and blah, 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 blah. You know, haha, maybe the supernatural wasn't real after all. Maybe it was all just, you know, in everybody's heads. And then, uh, you get maybe, uh, maybe it's like the laziest way to do this twist ever that I've ever seen in anything. This notion that maybe you were crazy the whole time and you imagined the whole game. Because someone comes up to you, I think it was Ellen, and she says, okay, wake up, it's time to go back to your cell. Ha 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 ha. And then, like, the game ends. Shut the fuck up. And oh my it's, God. it's the laziest way to do that. Oh, the game didn't happen twist that I've ever seen in my life. That's terrible. Um, Because that's terrible. It was 30 seconds long, this oh. little scene. And it didn't reveal any information about anything about any twist. It didn't seem like you got any information. It was it. the laziest shit. So I do not recommend that game. It got better as it went because there are some interesting little short stories in there that you hear from some of the patients. I particularly liked 
Uh, Claire's stories. Okay. I liked the story of her killing her husband and reanimating him from the dead. And he was kind of like, you know, a zombie, but not like, not super dangerous, but not super useful either. And there's a couple one-off patients who were actually somewhat interesting, but that stuff doesn't last very long. Overall, that is a very skippable game. The same studio made Late Shift. Play that instead. That's a good game. And it's only two hours long. This took forever. This was like a ten hour long game. Jesus. Because you are racking your brain trying to come up with the right questions to ask. And it ultimately leads nowhere. Which is very disappointing. That's the worst Getting part. a bad ending in Late Shift was way more satisfying than getting any ending in this game. That sucks. Maybe a, another character would have resulted in a more satisfying ending. I mean, I'll look it up, I guess. But, like, I kind of doubt it. Because if it still shows that very brief 10-second scene at the end where it's like, Ah, it was all in your head! Ha 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 ha! Then the game is, not, the game is nothing to me. Right. Makes the, whole the game didn't even happen. Right. Makes I just imagined happen. playing the entire game, basically. Don't you wish you would have? Yes. <laughs> oh, man. So fuck that shit. They have one more game in their trilogy of FMV games. I'm sure they have a little more than this now, but... Uh, the Bunker, I've yet to play. Which, like, I don't know if that one's good, but... Hey, I read it's shorter. It's like two hours. That's Yay. good. Yay. Yay. FMV is such a shaky, bad form of video game. The only good FMV game I've ever played was Gabriel Knight 2. I could see that. But that game, like, doesn't inherently rely on FMV that much. It just kind of... It's so weird because it's, like, still, like, a... Like a really good like point and click game. It just is FMV, right? It makes it so strange. Would would uh would that fucking Black Mirror episode count? No, <laughs> I don't think so. There's less choices than something like Late Shift, but like yeah, yeah. I don't think that really counts as an FMV game. I don't know. <laughs> That's more like just like an interactive Netflix movie. You play those like interactive games on like the Spider Man DVDs. Yeah. It's like that. Yeah. Okay. It's very much like that. That's funny. Bandersnatch. <laughs> By the way, isn't even good. It's not? No, I don't think I so. I never watched it. I didn't like it. Did you just get a bad ending? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, all right. I fucked around with it for, like, however long it was till I got an ending, and then it just, like, quit, and I was like, eh. Black Mirror's also fairly inconsistent. Like very. it could be, it could be ten out of ten, or, like, five out of ten. Like, it, it really depends. It could be San Bernardino, which is, like... That's a fucking god tier episode of television. God tier right episode of television, and then it could be like a weird future one about like people on treadmills. It sucks. So like, you what if the treadmill made you die? Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. What if Miley Cyrus existed? <laughs> oh, no. oh no! Oh no! Anyway, that means we have to listen to that Dead Pets album. Strong one. I agree. <laughs> the only thing I know about that album is Fantano reviewed it, and he said it was a strong one. Have you ever listened to it? I've never attempted to. Don't. Um, I've don't never been a that. fan of Miley Cyrus. So. Don't do that to yourself. Neither have I. So I don't know why I expected I would feel anything about this album other than eh. I think she but. has a good voice, and I wish she made better music with it. I agree. Actually. I agree. I'd, I'd say that. At this everything point, I've listened to has been like, you know, ugh. 
It's not good. Nah. It's not good. No. Not good so. at all. So, but I guess we might as well just do it now. Unless you have something else to talk about. Not particularly. Well, then let's just transition into a good thing. All right. We're finally here, boys. Catwoman. Just he's looking at me with like a dead stare. He's a dead man. Now. Batman Begins. Batman Begins. Hell yeah! First in the Nolan trilogy. Spoilers: My favorite Batman movie. It's it's pretty good, Jasby. It's a it's a pretty pretty damn good movie. It's it's way better than I remember, and I remembered it being good. Right, which is quite an accomplishment. I, I I'm actually fairly. I told you, dude. Blown away by it. Uh, I haven't watched it since uh, The Dark Knight Rises was coming out in like 2012. Yeah. And we rewatched the whole trilogy. And I've seen right. The Dark Knight again since then. I've seen The Dark Knight Rises again since then. But I've never went back and rewatched Batman Begins again. And uh, I'm glad I did. I'm glad we were doing this series. Yeah. Because this has been a lot of fun. And now we get to see quite possibly the peak. And we won't see <laughs> that for a while. Because we're going to go down the mountain soon. Oh, yeah. This just, all, I mean, in my opinion, it just all goes downhill from here, like, steadily. <sighs> the Dark Knight is good, you idiot. Come on. It is still, yeah, but, like, it, I mean, it's like, but I, I just think it's, like, barely worse than Batman Begins. I, I'm going to have that argument with you next week. Oh, yeah, we're going to have that I argument. I like The Dark Knight enough to say it's better than Batman Begins, but not by a significant amount. Yeah, I agree. If you would have asked me further back in the past, I would have been like, Batman Begins is, like, a nine- Dark Knight's like a 10. In reality... I really don't feel like that at all anymore. I feel like they're just probably both, like, solid 9s. Yeah. And the Dark Knight has some stuff in it that could maybe... You could argue it's an 8, actually. Yeah. But it has Heath Ledger, Joker, which... Bumps it up a notch. Helps out some of those weaker elements. Yeah, there's some weaker stuff. There's in that not movie. a whole lot of weaker elements in Batman Begins. It's really no. solid all the way through. Yeah. It's quite possibly the best interpretation of his origin we're ever gonna get. I think so. I think. It's very it's done it's not like what I love about the the origin story told in Batman Begins is I don't know, it's gonna be hard to like put this into words, but I'm gonna try really hard. It doesn't the other Batman origins in the film so far have almost felt like suffocating with it. Yeah. Where it's like they either like like shove it in your face really bad and you like don't care cuz it's really basic or like it's too much. Yeah, in, I can, in the case I can of kind like of see that. in the case of like Batman Forever where it's like way too much. Why is this in the movie at all when it's the third Batman movie right. anyway? Yeah. Yeah. So like this is really refreshing because it's telling us a story of a new Batman. Yeah. Now, obviously, the parents dying thing is still relatively the same, but everything else feels different. I like how they portrayed the parents dying in this one. Yeah, it's way better. It's actually really well done. Uh, they did a lot of good jobs uh, in, in general with the whole thing. Uh, but before we can really talk about Batman Begins... Yeah, I know there's some... We should talk stuff. about Batman ending. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, before Batman can begin again, he has to end. Badly. And oh, yeah. that bad ending was, as we discussed Batman a and few Robin. episodes ago, Batman and Robin. The film did poorly. 
No shit. And necessitated, necessitated, sorry, a change in direction. The proposed fifth Batman film from Schumacher that we talked about was promptly canceled, uh, despite Warner Brothers approving it. Based on their excitement for early footage they got back from the dailies of Batman and Robin. They were like, oh, that looks great. Schumacher, start working on that third movie as soon as you're done. What the fuck? <laughs> and, then, and then everybody else saw it, and they were like, mm, no, let's switch gears. So Warner Brothers decided to simultaneously work on an adaptation of Batman Beyond and an adaptation of Batman Year One, waiting to see which pitch seemed like the best option, based on the scripts they got. Schumacher approached WB to make Year One in 1998, an idea he wanted to pursue since before he made Batman Forever, and also an idea that could redeem him in the eyes of the fans. It didn't come to pass. (laughs) The studio was pitched a sequel titled Batman Dark Knight, and this title is stylized, capital D-A-R, capital K-N-I-G-H-T, which looks like shit. Uh, this saw Batman returning, much like The Dark Knight Returns. Uh, Batman would face off against Scarecrow, who would end up being one of the villains that begins. And your favorite villain, Jusby, the Man-Bat. Jesus Christ. <laughs> whose crimes would be blamed on Batman, with Batman coming back to clear his name. WB chooses to stick to its intentions... And make a year one movie and not an actual sequel. Because that's what this would have been. Right. A Batman Beyond film never came to fruition. Uh, The film was to be written by series creator Paul Dini, cyberpunk writer Neil Stevenson, and Boz Yakin, who was also possibly going to direct. uh, He directed Remember the Titans in 2000. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if Batman Beyond would really work necessarily, but I like the notion of it. I think it could really work now if they tried. Yeah, it. I think so. Especially like you could just get Michael Keaton, right, to be old Bruce Wayne. That's what that I would want. be the shit. That's, I want that so bad. Absolutely, what I would want. But maybe back then it wouldn't have been the best call. No, I can I kind of understand why they went with a Batman Year One, especially story. after what happened with Batman and Robin. Nah. I think. Your next thing to go like further ahead, probably maybe go with simpler idea. instead of more crazy. <laughs> right. So WB abandoned the Batman Beyond film in favor of Year One when they hired Darren Aronofsky. Who, you know, Requiem yeah. for a Dream at the time, but yeah. then later The Fountain, The Wrestler, Black Swan, Mother. Because it has an exclamation right, point right, at right, the right. end. Did and Noah, which doesn't, go. but I wanted to scream it. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> don't ever forget that he also made Noah. I know that he's an acclaimed director. Don't ever forget. <laughs> so they wanted him. He was going to write the script alongside Frank Miller. Which, well, thank God, didn't. Well, uh, hey, Jusby. Frank Miller wrote Batman Year One itself, uh-huh. and The Dark Knight Returns, uh-huh. and Three Hundred, uh-huh. and All Star Batman there Robin, where Batman calls Robin, you know, the the, the R word. <laughs> I mean, yeah. What are you gonna do, man? That's good writing. What are you? Gonna, he's the goddamn Batman. Duh. That line's funny. He feeds Robin rats in the Bat Cave. <laughs> Jesus Christ! If you have, if you've never read All Star Batman and Robin, I it's a 
it's a treat in the worst way. Oh, it hurts <laughs> in the best possible way. Um, it's just sad that like one of the best comic writers ha- is now one of the worst. Right. And that's like almost inarguable. So maybe it was good that he didn't do this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So the film was dark and set to be R-rated. WB hired the Wachowskis to rewrite the film, huh. but didn't like the script. So then they hired Joss Whedon. And then they didn't like that script either. So WB then said, fuck it, we're just going to make something else, and decided to focus on a Batman versus Superman project, which we'll go into more detail on when we watch that movie uh, that eventually came out of that. And the short story is it didn't work out, and WB released fucking Catwoman instead. Yeah. Great. But the following year was Batman Begins. So Christopher Nolan, then most famous for the film Memento. Great movie. uh, Was hired to helm a Batman film in 2003. David S. Goyer, who at the time was in the middle of the hell that was writing and directing Blade Trinity, uh, was hired to write the script soon after. Um, I like to think that David S. Goyer was writing the script for Batman Begins in between... Uh, takes of dealing with Wesley Snipes on the set. <laughs> right. Because there's a lot of highly publicized moments of that where just like Wesley Snipes refuses to comply with any demands. Yeah. Any, any direction. Any anything. He was just like, fuck all of this shit. <laughs> I agree. I, I mean, yeah, but there's like, there's like going too far. Yeah. He, like he's being rude to the director asking things of him. Um, but anyway... Be that as it may, Nolan wanted to ground this version in reality and avoid the style-over-substance approach of the previous Burton and Schumacher films. He cited Richard Donner's Superman film from 1978 as an inspiration, namely the way it showcased the title character's growth and development. Nolan also wanted to showcase doing the origin stories of the character, which is a story that's never been told before. This is his quote. He also wanted the film to be a large epic, like Lawrence of Arabia. As far as comic inspirations, obviously Year One is a big one, but also The Man Who Falls, which is a short story by Dennis O'Neill and Dick Giordano. Uh, This has Bruce falling into a well when he's a kid, and then it has him traveling the world, and that's all based on this story, a big part of the movie. Nolan was also inspired by... Batman The Long Halloween by yep. Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. One of my favorite Batman comics. Very good. Uh, it would continue to be an inspiration when he made The Dark Knight as well. This led to the inclusion of Carmine Falcone and was going to lead to the inclusion of Harvey Dent. But he was replaced with a new character named Rachel Dawes and saved for the sequel. Nolan was okay with aiming for a PG-13 rating despite the initial version of this movie with Aronofsky before he left being a hard R. He wanted to aim for a film he would have loved to see as a kid. The quote from Nolan. Not the youngest kids, obviously. I think what we've done is probably a bit intense for them, but I certainly didn't want to exclude the sort of 10 to 12-year-olds because as a kid, I would have loved to have seen a movie like this. So Christian Bale's cast as our sixth Batman so far. (laughs) It's weird to think. That's way too many. As with a lot of Batman. <laughs> what are you going to do? At the time, he was most famous for his role in American Psycho. Yeah. Now he's probably most famous for being in these movies. Right. Um, Nolan said, 
Quote, he has exactly the balance of darkness and light that we were looking for. So Bale appeared in the film The Machinist in 2004. Yeah. Uh, a role he lost 63 pounds for. You can look at photos everywhere. He's super skinny Christian Bale. Yeah, it's like ridiculous. So he lost 63 pounds and then he gets cast to be fucking Batman. So for the role of Bruce Wayne and Batman, he gains 100 pounds in six months. That workout regimen? <laughs> It had probably, to be insane. Dude, he he does this all the time. Yeah, he, he like, does. He's a madman when it comes to manipulating his weight. Yeah. Dude, the Dick oh, Cheney movie. It's even worse, because then he realized he gained too much weight, and he lost 30 pounds before filming. <laughs> Holy shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, he... You know how difficult that is? the same dude portraying the guy in The Machinist... The guy in Batman and also Dick Cheney in Vice. Like, are you on, kidding me? He put on a bunch of weight for that movie. He sort of, he turned into Dick Cheney. It's fucking wild. Dude's <sighs> mad. Aronofsky had eyed Bale for the role back when he was making the film, but other actors considered included Henry Cavill. He would have been a terrible Batman. Yeah. I think he's more suited to be a Superman. He's for a sure. great Geralt of Rivia, though. Yeah, sure. He's fantastic. I'm glad he's found something that is good. That is his fucking... In. Dude, that is his goddamn calling. I'll tell you what. I, I hope he's he just perfect. can... I, I mean, it's probably a better move for him to just keep doing Witcher. Oh, yeah, yeah. Than to come back to the DC universe. It's been such a resounding success that he's going to keep doing it. Rip Superman, I guess. Then. Fuck it. Nobody liked it anyway. That's, that's true. Uh, Billy Crudup who eventually played a superhero in Watchmen. Yep. He was Dr. Manhattan. Uh-huh. A little different. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Heath Ledger, who obviously ended up in the sequel. And Cillian Murphy, who is in this movie. Yeah, about to say. <laughs> he did a screen test as in the suit and in some Bruce Wayne scenes. And he's not bad. But I think Cillian Murphy just looks too creepy for you to buy him as Batman. Yeah. But, which is a shame. But, like, at the same time, like, Christian Bale could be creepy sometimes, too. But I think they were right that he had that good balance where he wouldn't be too creepy. I'll tell you what, maybe it's worse the next movie. It's been about a year since I've watched this film. Yeah. And, like, over time, as I'm getting older, I'm, like, looking at some stuff a little differently. Uh-huh. And, like, I don't know, man. Like, at least in this movie, the, Batman, the Christian Bale's performance is nowhere near as much of a meme. There's a couple, there's a couple Batman, lines. Batman, you mean, right. like, the Bat voice? Yeah, there's only a couple lines that are, like, dumb. Yeah, and I think they're supposed to be intense. Right. he's trying to be intimidating. Like, I, I think he, he did... The voice got worse as it went. Yeah. I think. Bale was excited to fully portray the character whom he felt and I agree, was sidelined in his own films in favor of his villains. Which is true. Yeah. Um, Don't think that's the case. For fuck's sake, two of those Batman movies, he's the Batman isn't even top billing. Yeah. Jack Nicholson is top billing for Batman 89. And Arnold Schwarzenegger is top billing for Batman and Robin. Right. It's kind of weird. All right. Nolan was inspired... By the production design and look of the city in Blade Runner, and had cinematographer yeah. Wally Pfister and others watch the film with him. Uh, Gotham was designed more modernly to fit the realistic tone with production designer Nathan Crowley. 
I think they did a really good job. It looks like a Gotham that could exist. Right. As opposed to the Burton and Schumacher ones, which, like, cannot ever. Right. Uh, I like a, a bit of a happy medium between those things. Like, it does look like a creepy, dingy city. And then sometimes it looks like a better city, depending on which area of the city you're in. Right. That's the idea. I like the realistic approach to it. Uh, other elements of the production. The Batmobile. The Tumbler. Yeah. That was an expensive production in and of itself, as you could probably oh, yeah, guess. Oh, yeah. I guess. I uh, bet, dude. Designed and developed for nine months, costing several million dollars. <laughs> but it's dope. It's dope. So the street vehicles they had designed, like for stunt drivers to drive, had very poor visibility. You couldn't see while driving, basically. Oh, God. So they needed capable drivers to rely on outside cameras to see where they were going. That is scary. Yep. Shots of Batman and other characters inside the vehicle were done on a separate set. You right. can kind of tell. Yeah. Uh, with room for cameras, you know, like they, they couldn't squeeze in there. <laughs> Uh, and the bat suit, costume designer Lindy Hemming and a large crew designed this new bat suit specifically intended to have much better movement. Right. And be more comfortable than the previous ones. They probably remembered Michael Keaton <coughs> being like, time. this sucks ass. Right. Uh, I, I didn't hear any huge complaints from Bale in looking up anything. Uh, I, I think it's they designed a good one. Yeah. I love the look of the bat suit in this movie. Oh, it's fantastic. It's it's very modern. Even for the even for now, yeah, probably. It's sleek. I, I like the idea of it. It's a very sleek suit and like very practical. Which is what's nice about the it. The score is quite possibly one of the best things about this movie. It's definitely up there. Hans like. Zimmer and James Newton Howard intentionally avoiding any elements of Danny Elfman's score, made two hours and 20 minutes of music for this movie, which is, I think, longer than the movie itself. It is. But that's pretty cool. Um, It's all good. All the the new themes they made are so good. I love the sound of this trilogy. Yeah. Um, I bet theaters didn't by the time they got to Dark Knight Rises and it was blowing out speakers. Right. But... Oh, well. <laughs> Nolan likes to mix his sound weird. He's just kind of always been a problem for yeah. him. Uh, in in these in the first two Batman movies, they're mixed very quietly. Yeah. Like, even, like, watching it here at home, like, we had to crank our sound system in order to, like, hear the movie, and even then it was not loud enough still. But then, yeah. some of the really loud moments were too fucking loud. Really low lows and really high highs. Right. Yeah. And it's always been a thing. Weird, for right? Him. Yeah, but then Dark Knight Rises was just like always too high all the time. Yeah, I, I would agree. So like, I don't get well, it. Well, because there's not a lot of quiet moments in that movie. No, it's not really loud. That's that, that's the thing that I think both of these first two movies do a great job at. There's a lot of like really nicer quiet moments. Like I could get that. There's a there's a lot of them in, in Batman Begins. Yeah, where it's like just a lot of like like somber moments. Or just, like, really good, like, establishing shots. Or, like, just quiet shots of, like... Even at the very beginning of the movie, when Bruce is just, like, walking up that mountain, you just have the score, like, being sort of subtle and then swelling. (laughs) I I love that fucking sound so much. Oh, it's so good. All right, so what happens in this movie? So we get... Batman Begins. Right. Did it. Nailed it. Uh, Spooky WB logo. Woo! 
Oh, it turns into bats. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually pretty dope. Yeah, it's cool. I liked it. Boo, spooky ghost. Boo. So we immediately get chucked into uh, a scene that looks like you're in a really shitty, like, almost internment camp type thing. You find out it's a foreign prison. No, you start out with Bruce falling into the hole. Oh, that forgot about the yes. falling into the hole thing. Yeah, so you get that, that what we was talking about earlier with the short story. Young Bruce Wayne. Uh-huh. Uh, fucking around with uh, Rachel. Rachel! Rachel! <laughs> oh, my God, we're going to do that so much next week. He, like, steals an arrowhead from her and says, Ah, eh, finders keepers, fuck you, bitch! And then oh. just takes off running. <laughs> and then while he's trying to hide from her, he falls into a well. He's in a well. Hey, me no way. There it is. Cause here I fell. You mm-hmm. pushed me down. <laughs> Man, like one person's gonna get that joke. I'm happy. Tell what is it? Tell them to look it up. Fell in a well by the skeleton band X or something like that. Yeah, it's really funny. It's terrible. <laughs> it's, but anyway, it's fantastic. It don't you t- say it's terrible. It is high art. <laughs> So little Brucey Bruce falls into the hole, uh-huh. and uh, he, he's he's stuck down there, and he he apparently broke his leg. That makes sense. Yeah, because he he took quite Actually, a fall. He took quite a fall. He took quite a tumble, Master Bruce. And, uh, and then you, you kind of hear some bats. rumbling. Yeah, you hear some rumbling, and then bats just fucking fly at him. Ah, and right. it traumatizes him. Yeah, from an early age. Scared of bats. Yep. I like this edition. I really do. I think it actually makes the lore of him becoming Batman make a sort of sense. Right. It's very smart. Because it doesn't (laughs) make any. Right. Uh, If you're trying to approach this as realistically as possible... This is probably the only way you're going to be able to yeah, do it. Yeah, and then, this. like, it has a really good justification later where he's straight up like, Alfred asks him why a bat. And he's like, I'm fucking scared of bats, so I'm going to turn that against people instead. Yeah, yeah. Use my fear. Yeah, he specifically says, uh, makes, make them feel his dread, which is like, it's metal yeah, as fuck, it's dude. fucking great. <laughs> yes. It's a perfect justification for something like that. It's really, really well put together in that sense. Yeah. So we cut from that to the prison. Right. So you have, you have, uh, you have the Thomas Wayne. He gets Bruce out of there with yeah. Alfred and he starts carrying him up. We must pick yourselves up, Master Bruce. Right. And then he, the thing he tells him, it's referenced a couple times in this movie, when he says, what happens when you fall down? You pick yourself back up. Yeah. And there's something else after I forget. It doesn't fucking matter. But. Why do we fall so we can pick ourselves back up? Yeah, that's Something it. like that. Something like that. And that's referenced a couple more times throughout the movie, just like kind of a thing, like, oh, you remember what your dad told you? And then we get a cut to what I was talking about before. Now we're going into modern day Bruce Wayne. Somewhere in, somewhere in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Undisclosed, possibly Asian location. Looks like maybe, maybe Thailand? I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I believe they filmed in Iceland for this shit, and it was really harsh conditions. I forget. It looks like it was harsh conditions. It was. <laughs> it was really high wind. So you see Bruce Wayne locked up in a jail cell, and you have an old man telling him, hey, you're going to get beat up, and these guys are coming after you, and you kind of get a, a sense of, like, these guys have been beating him up. Yeah. I love the line that Bruce says, because the dude says, like, I'm the devil. And, like, he's like, you're not the devil, you're practice. 
Yeah. And it's awesome. And he just beats the shit out of all these guys and then gets thrown into solitary. Yeah, it, it's that's just a really good line where the guard's like, solitary. And he's like, he's like, he's like I don't, why? I don't need protection. He's like, not protection for you, protection for them. Oh, it's so good. And then it cuts to like 20 people lying on the ground in pain. I genuinely dislike David S. Goyer's writing usually. Yeah. Blade Trinity is shit. Right. He also did, I believe, Ghost Rider 2. Not good. Ghost Rider 1, maybe. Right. One of the Ghost Rider movies. Uh, helped with Batman v Superman. But here he does some great lines. Yeah. That's actually pretty good. Right. I like this script a lot. It's a lot more funny than I remember. Mm hmm. For sure. Because everybody talks about how this is like the big birth of the dark superhero movie. No, see, what's funny about this, and none of the three movies are like this through and through. Not even The Dark Knight, which has like a bunch of like fucking. It, it, that, that, movie, that movie's lined to the brim with cheese. Yeah. All honestly. three of these movies have their own respectable amount of cheese in them. What What happened was. A lot of these filmmakers just saw the tone, uh-huh. and then they went like full bore into it like Zack Snyder did. Yeah, they when took they, the wrong lessons. Right. It's similar to how the comic book industry took things like Watchmen. Yeah. They were the like, oh, lessons. so stuff has to be dark, and then they made stuff like, I don't know, Spawn. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, that's not necessarily what they meant, guys. You didn't have to like make a comic about a demon man who kills rapists necessarily right. you didn't have to do that <laughs> yeah it's taking it's taking everything too literally with it yeah what makes these Batman movies so good is they have that like really realistic gritty tone while still retaining some of that like comic book goofiness I like that parts of this the, those parts of this movie yeah. for sure I like the jokes yeah, I and think then, they're like, delivered well. Yeah, the jokes land really well. Yeah. And like a lot of them are like more like personal like actually like these characters telling jokes to each other which makes it feel a lot more human and personable. Alfred's really funny in this movie. Oh, he's great. Yeah. By the way, best Alfred. Oh, easily. Easily. I like the animated series one. Yeah, he's really good too. But this is basically like a live action version of that. It's really yeah. good. The, this is the most human Alfred we've ever gotten. Well, let's talk about him real quick. I would love to. While we're here. Um... You got your boy Michael Caine. Yes. As Alfred. God tier. Caine created his own backstory for the character. He was not asked to do this. Oh, that's he cool. just did it. His Alfred, he said, is a veteran of the Special Air Service who was asked to be a butler for the Waynes because they wanted someone tough. They didn't want just a normal, everyday butler. They wanted someone who was, you know, could suit Gotham more, I guess. Okay. And I think this explanation works really well with what Alfred does in the movie. Yeah. he's not going to beat the shit out of people anytime soon, but he does help Bruce get out of that fire and stuff like that. He's tougher than just a elderly man like like the like the Burton verse right. Alfred for sure. <laughs> He's definitely at least capable in some way. Yes. Which helps out later on for a very, very, very cool scene. Uh-huh. But anyway, we're here with Bruce right now. Yeah. After he's in solitary. He gets thrown in there. And then, like, really randomly, I don't understand why, but, like, in the background, the guy from Taken comes out. <laughs> I'm a man with a very specific set of skills. <laughs> he just goes on the rant to Bruce, and I'm like, what's going on? Mm. He's no, waiting Le down there for him. Liam Neeson comes out as... Henry Ducard. There it is. Who's n obviously not Ra's al Ghul. Yeah, that, that's, that's the one. <laughs> 
So, um, I guess we'll just talk about this. It's obvious that he's Ra's al Ghul. Oh, yeah, from the start. From yeah. the start. Because they made him look like Ra's al Ghul. And then he said he was Ra's al Ghul. No. He does. Not right away. He does. No. No, he does not. I thought he did. He says he's Henry Ducard. Okay. Or no, he just says, I, my name is simply Ducard. That's right. That's but the character's full name is Henry Ducard. He says he works for Ra's al Ghul. He That's introduces Ra's al Ghul to Bruce, and it's fucking... Right, uh, somebody else. Ken yeah. Watanabe. Right. Uh, but anyway, Nolan said Ra's was one of the most complex Batman villains and compared him to Osama Bin Laden, saying, quote, he's not crazy in the way that all the other Batman villains are. He's not bent on revenge. He's actually trying to heal the world. He's just doing it by very draconian means. Uh, Guy Pierce was considered for the role, who was in Memento, yeah. that Nolan directed, uh, as was Gary Oldman. Oh. But the casting of Neeson, I guess, was intended to help pay off the twist that he was actually a villain, as Neeson is usually playing a hero or a mentor, which early on in this movie he appears to be, just Batman's but mentor. he is not. Right. Well, he is Batman's mentor. Bruce takes all of his lessons to heart. Yeah. But, except for one. <laughs> like, he's a really good teacher, except for one thing. He, that he just doesn't wants take. to murder a bunch of people. Mm hmm. That's, that's where it kind of goes around. the awry. only way, dude. You gotta kill everybody. Um, so, yeah, we get. We get. Uh, we get good old Taken guy giving Bruce an offer. Qui Gon Jin. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, they, like. He asked him to, like, if you want to use the force, <laughs> we're, I'm getting you out of here, and we're going we're gonna to kick you out of this prison. And I want you to climb this mountain. and grab get this, this specific flower. Get this blue flower yeah. and climb to the top of this mountain, and you'll find what you seek. Yeah. And you get a little lines like, what, well, what do I seek? And Bruce is being, like, all mysterious. That is entirely up to you, or whatever he says. Yeah. Basically. So, Bruce climbs mountain. Mm-hmm. And he is in this, like, temple, monastery. Yes. Ra's al Ghul in the League of Shadows. By the way, uh, I think I mentioned it. Yeah, Ken Watanabe. Yes. As Ra's al Ghul, in quotation marks, because right. it's not Ra's al Ghul. He's great. I, he actually is. Ken Watanabe's great. He has a good fight scene with him. Yeah, uh, it's really good. But yeah, um... We just basically get an extended training segment yeah. that, that eventually has some flashbacks to his time before he left Gotham. Right. Where you see him as, like, a very distraught and, like, emotionally scarred Bruce Wayne. Well, we get this revelation uh, that the person who killed his parents, which we see the scene, yeah. I believe. We do. Um, I, I like the changes to his parents' murder here because um, Nolan pointed out that it's he is always going to see Zorro. And that kind of, like, puts a lot of the notion that he became a vigilante because he saw Zorro. So he was inspired by a guy in a mask. Yeah. And he was like, I didn't want him to be inspired by a guy in a mask. I wanted him to come up with the idea. Right. Basically. So it was. It, it works a lot better, in my opinion, that they go to a creepy opera. <laughs> At least creepy for a little kid. Right. Uh And then that lets him have a little bit of guilt because he wants to leave the theater because he's getting upset. Because he's kind of getting triggered by the fast movement of the performers on stage. Because it's making him think about the bats right. that have given him trauma. Because uh, he's so scared. So he can blame himself a little bit for that. Because 
he makes his parents leave, and then they get fucking shot. Right. By, uh, the worst name ever. I fucking hate that the guy who killed Bruce Wayne's parents is canonically called Joe Chill. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> and they keep his name Joe Chill in this, and I hate the name Joe Chill. That sucks. It's a bad name. It's almost as bad as uh, the guy who kills Uncle Ben, canonically in the comics, is called The Burglar. Right, and that's it. That's his, like, criminal alias. Yeah, it's terrible. The Burglar. It's stupid. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> comics should just are be stupid. a no-name guy. Like, we should not even know his name. Yeah. But anyway, it's important for the plot in this movie, because Joe Chill sh- shares a cell with Carmine Falcone, who is basically like, you know... You're Don Corleone of Gotham City or what have right. you. He is the bad man. <laughs> and I guess uh, they want him to rat on Falcone because he shared a cell with him. Yeah. And, and then it will significantly reduce his time. Yeah, and he's taking this deal. Now, Bruce Wayne is not okay with this at all. Bruce Wayne wants this guy dead because he killed his parents. So he's going to take matters into his own hands and fucking go fucking Samuel Jackson mode in a time to kill right, and kill yeah. this dude in the courthouse. Yeah, right so now. He, he gets a revolver. He, he shows up at the mansion again. And you get the impression that he's been gone for a long time, maybe off to college or something. I'm not sure. I, time has passed. Right. And you tell he hasn't been there for a long time and Alfred's just kind of attending their place by himself. Yeah. They have a little bit of banter about that. Tells him, you know, you can go to the master bedroom. Bruce's like, I'm not going to that bedroom. Fuck that. Yeah. That's like where his parents slept. He me. goes there anyway. You see a couple, like, like a stethoscope that uh, him and his father used to play with. Yeah. And then, then he sets down his bags and he opens them up and you see the gun in there and he puts it in his coat. You're like, uh-oh. He goes to leave heads for the courthouse. I remember correctly. Yes, he does. Yeah. He's gonna go shoot Joe Chill. Right, so he shows up at the trial. Uh, before the trial starts, he talks to uh, Rachel. Played by Katie Holmes. Yes. Should we talk about her? If you want. <laughs> she dated Tom Cruise. She sure did. From 2006 to 2012. I'm I wrote so this down. So sorry. <laughs> uh, this was a big media sensation for some reason. Well, I know why. The meme. Tom Cruise went on Oprah and was so happy that he was dating Katie Holmes that he danced and jumped on her couch and shit. Right. Uh, And that became a huge meme of the era. So they had a lot of media attention. Tomcat, if you will. Yeah. Uh, Now, I have a conspiracy theory for you. Let's put on our tinfoil hats. On. (laughs) Katie Holmes... Uh-huh. Is in movies. <laughs> Correct. Until Break Up with Tom Cruise. Yeah. Hasn't been in anything since. Has been in things. Nothing really, really significant. Okay. You would expect her to be getting more roles because she's at the point where she's in this big expensive Batman movie, right? Now, she could have just fucked it up for herself. Right. By dating a Scientologist? No, by uh, not being in The Dark Knight. Ah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, maybe that was just her own fault that she doesn't get roles anymore. But I am curious as to how much influence Tom Cruise may have over an ex that he may not care for anymore his career. Because he is a big, famous Hollywood man and potential leader of a cult. Yeah, giant piece of shit. <laughs> 
Yay, Scientology. Yeah, well, what the fuck? Anybody but, pushing but that your shit? But your other option is, instead of returning for The Dark Knight, she opted to be in a film called Mad Money instead. Ugh. Which, ironically, was probably a bad monetary decision. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got him! Ooh, I'm probably not the first person to make that joke Definitely about not. Mad Money. Absolutely not. You were you were not. But anyway, what do you think of her? Like, I, I think she's like she's fine. Okay, she's fine. If there's a weak link in the acting in this movie, it's her. Yeah. But it's like whatever to me. This it's despite, still not bad. Despite that really funny ABC Family promo we saw, which I will <laughs> put on the Twitter. I swear to you, please do. Um, this is not a romantic comedy, and she is not that big of a part of the film but she's not that she's not she's barely in it for maybe 20 minutes old childhood friend of bruce's that he may have a thing for he definitely he definitely and has that's for her. really it she's like a da and she's like pushing the buttons of people that don't want to be pushed in the crime world right other than that she doesn't have a whole lot of a role in this movie i think her role is like more expanded and better performed in the dark knight by maggie gyllenhaal yeah but it is what it is. She wasn't bad. She wasn't great. Right. So anyway, she, uh, I think, takes him to the courthouse. Yeah, she takes they, him to the court. At least briefly talk about. Right, and then they talk about it, and she and he, he explicitly tells her that you know nothing, no, nothing will like, you know, take away from like what's happened to him, and that that person he, he's telling her that he thinks he should be. You know, locked up forever. He can't believe he's getting out. Yeah. And then you get to the actual court hearing. And then ask him a couple questions. Mr. Chill says that he's remorseful about the crime or whatever. Chill. And then the judge... <laughs> chill. And then the judge goes, chill. <laughs> he just freezes everybody in the courtroom. Yeah. All right, everyone. Oh, God, that was so bad. You know what? I did it on purpose, I swear. No, you didn't. I'm on Swaziland. Oh, oh no! Everybody chill. Oh no! <laughs> I can do it way better than that, but uh, fuck it. Right. You know, we got to do the fake impressions. Can't and wait for the Bane time in a couple weeks. Oh, hey, everybody! It's me, Bane. Yeah. That's a <laughs> I'm Gotham's reckoning. <laughs> Crashing this plane. Oh. Yeah, so so Joe Chill's all like, hey, I feel bad about it, and Bruce is like, fuck you, dude. Yeah, well, the, ju- the judge being like a snide motherfucker is like, yeah. I know there's a ween in this room. You, he like- you want to say? And he just like leaves, because like, fuck you, dude. Right, and he gets pissed of off and leaves. he's mad about it. And he's sitting outside, he's sitting I mean, outside the courthouse. What are you about? Really? Yeah. Because uh, Joe Chill is going to be dead in a minute, because a reporter comes up to him and is like, Mr. Mister Chill, Falcone sends his regards, and then shoots <laughs> Yeah, straight up. <laughs> it's like really like off center and like you don't see it happening. You don't see who shot him, but like I assume it was this female reporter. It's so, yeah, it's kind of crazy. It was, yeah, uh, but whatever. Just as Bruce was sitting out there getting ready to shoot him. Yep. So this random chance uh, robs him of his vengeance that he would have been punished for, and we wouldn't have had this movie. Right. Um. And he admits as much to Rachel. Yeah. In the car on the way back and like even shows her the gun and she slaps him twice and is like, fuck you, dude, that's stupid. And I'm like, bitch, 
That's the dude who killed his parents, fam. Yeah, and then while this happens, like, does actually get you get some pretty good lore going on here. Yeah, where she drives like into like they're in the nicer part of Gotham, and she just goes down a bridge, uh-huh. and then you are in the worst part of Gotham. And she explains to him, to him, like, hey, like, since your parents died, they were a big driving force behind like people getting better in this area, and it has just gotten worse with Falcone running shit when they died. Yeah, right. And now it just keeps getting worse. If you want, if you have any gripe with any man in this city, it's him. Points towards Falcone's restaurant that's there. And then, and then Bruce tells her about the gun thing, and she gets pissed, kicks him out of the car, and he goes in to see Falcone. Yeah, he just he throws the gun away. Uh huh. And he's like, "Fuck this! I'm gonna I'm gonna go up to him. I'm not afraid of him because I'm big man Brucey." It doesn't work out. Really no, well. not well, not uh, at all. Falcone basically just scolds him and says, "Get the fuck out of my bar." Yeah, basically just makes fun of him and has a couple guys punch him a few times. Yeah, and says, "I could shoot you, and nobody could do a damn thing about it. So why don't you just get out of here?" It's a really good scene, actually. It is great. Uh, Shows the power of the man. Yeah, uh, Tom Wilkinson as Carmine Falcone. Yeah, by the way, does a great job. Yeah, he's all right. Um, I like that the the escalation of villains we have in this movie because. Um, I guess you have the kind of the idea that it's going to be him. And it's like, well, how do you get further than a mafia Don? And then he's like really small potatoes in the big picture by the time we're at the end of this movie. Yeah, I think Dolan does a good job like progressing into that too. It's a really good like slow move towards that. Yeah. It's it's pretty, pretty well done. So after he leaves there, he kind of, Bruce kind of realizes that he's like fucked. Uh, he has this cool little uh, moment where he's like, fuck it, rich no longer, and just like throws away all his money and decides to disappear. Gives a homeless man his coat, borrows that homeless man's coat, and goes off into the night, gets on a ship, and presumably eventually ends up with the League of Shadows, and then we go back to more training. Right. Um, we had a cool little scene in there. I like how that's told. I like how that's paced. It's really well done. And it does... Because if it was just showing you League of Shadows stuff over and over and over again, and without explaining this important element of Bruce's character, then what would happen would kind of feel like it came out of nowhere. It's like kind of explaining how he, like, got to where he was at and why he's, like... Kind of gives him a lot more... It gives Batman as a whole, like, a lot more humanity... Yeah. Whereas, like, in these other movies, it's just kind of like, he's a rich dude who wants to fight crime. And here, it's like, Bruce actually got an understanding of how this works. What it means to be in their position, what it means to starve, what it means to have to steal in order to I really like that element of his character, because usually it's just like, haha, Batman's superpower is that he's rich. Which is a line we'll have in one of the Snyder films coming up. Yeah. Uh, But, like, I, I think... Here's the part of how he becomes Batman is seeing how the other half lives, too. Yeah. Because, like, and he even goes into that a bit, because he's, like, living as a poor person and having to steal food uh, led me to let go some of my prejudices that I once had as well, probably a super conservative rich person. Right, it allowed him to sympathize yeah, with those like people. a shot of him eating an apple with a kid and stole it. Yeah, he gives the he only eats a few bites of it, and gives the rest of the apples to the kid. Yeah, the kid's starving. Like, you know, not all poor people are criminals. It's a very important thing for Batman to understand. Right, some <laughs> some pre- poor people steal because they have no other choice. Yes, like the real situation. criminals are probably the higher up rich people, right. which is an interesting thing for him to learn. 
I like that this movie kind of low-key has politics to it. Oh, it absolutely It's really low-key. It's really surface level, but it's more than we've gotten before. Oh, absolutely. And I like how mature and realistic it is to give him these moments. I -hmm. like it a lot. Yep. Now, granted, at the same time, they go out of their way in this movie to have the Waynes be, like, glorified (laughs) to the nth degree. Like, yeah, they were super rich, but they basically just, like, you know were the nicest people of all time. Uh, he was a doctor. He saved people's lives. They built this train for Gotham that connected everybody, and it gave everybody jobs and was so great. And uh, even when we go to the Batcave later, they're like, oh, yes, your grandfather used this to <laughs> transport slaves in the Underground Railroad. And I'm it's like, the only we're thing. getting to this point. Right. Where we're just like, oh, your parents were, your family is so fucking god tier, Bruce. Yeah, like, please. And I'm like, okay, I get it. It's funny to me because you can contrast it with something like Joker, where the Waynes are portrayed as not great. Yeah. <laughs> I like the interpretation that they could be either. Right. And that probably Batman would happen no matter what. Yeah, I but, don't think so. You know, hey. Yeah, so... Training with the League of Shadows. Right, so he gets he, he starts getting towards the end of his training with League of Shadows. We get a couple really cool scenes in this. One where him and Tank and Man are fighting in the ice. <laughs> Tank and Man. And, like, Bruce's really cool thing where he slides around, but then, like, then Liam Neeson says something gets brought up a couple times in the movie, like, oh, you sacrificed your footing and in your advantageous position to put me in a disadvantaged position, and then Bruce just kind of, like, falls into ice water. Got him. And then the other really cool scene is uh, you have like what is supposed to be like his final test. They grab the flower that he picked from way down at the bottom of the mountain, and apparently that has like some kind of like effect to get you high as fuck, dog. It makes you see your worst fears. Yeah, I, it's like what the fear toxin comes from later. I right. Suppose. Yes, it is. It's exactly what the fear toxin comes yeah. from. But uh, so he makes. So, uh, Taken Man makes Bruce inhale this, and then he starts seeing his worst fears. He starts seeing bats. Yes. And it's basically like, there's a bunch of ninjas here, and you have to find me before I find you. Right. In this bunch of ninjas. Uh, now Bruce gets cut at some point in this, and then Mm -hmm. he very smartly, to hide himself, cuts a few other people. Just in the crowd. Yep. In the same place, and then hides and waits for Neeson to attack one of those people, and then gets the upper hand on him. Right. It's cool shit. Yep, and then nice after idea. that... Cool. Absolutely. And after that, they're like, all right, it's time to come part of League of Shadows. You have one final test. Kill this guy. And he like, no. <laughs> it's pretty quick. To I am not like your that. executioner. And they're like, well, you know, you can't have any feelings about this if you're going to be one of us. And if you're going to go forward, you know, your, your compassion is a weakness or whatever. Right. And he's like, no, it is my strength. And, like, it's cool that he doesn't need any convincing on this, but it does just kind of, like, happen. And then this all happens very quickly. Is he where... burns the whole motherfucker down. Now, <laughs> I want to point out yes. that Bruce Wayne over here is like, no, I will not kill this one person. Then he burns down the entire League of Shadows operation Killing probably 50 people. Yeah, so he makes... Uh, <laughs> this kind of comes up later on in the movie where he makes some sort of like strange justification for it. 
Where it's like, if I don't physically kill you, I didn't kill you. Which is like not how that works. He started the fire that causes rubble to drop from the sky onto Ra's al Ghul. Not Ra's al Ghul, but Ken Watanabe, Ra's al Ghul. Right, and, and crush and kill him. And that was directly as a result of his actions. But yeah. that does not count towards Batman's kill count. Kill count at zero has never killed anybody. Yeah. Well, Halo over his head. Gonna, gonna add that to the kill count. <laughs> I don't. Like, I don't know, it's kind of a thing, and it'll be even more of a thing in the Snyder films, where, like, yeah, Batman doesn't kill people, but then, like, it totally looks like he does. No, yeah, absolutely. Um, That's been a running theme in all of these movies. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like, it's just even more blatant Remember when he lit in that, the, the Burton movies. Remember you lit that guy on fucking oh, fire in Batman Returns? That dude's dead! Um, yeah, I remember. <laughs> the Burton one was way worse, um, and oh, they could have played with that in forever, but then we know they didn't. Right. Um... Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it still works. It is just kind of funny to me. Yeah. How he's like, I don't kill people. Anyway, kills people. <laughs> yeah, then, so taking guys unconscious. Uh, Bruce and, saves him. Yeah, Bruce saves him, takes him somewhere to get healed, and then fucks off. And, and then he realizes that now it's his, after all that interaction, realizing his path forward is to be Batman. So he returns to Gotham and gets to work. Yep, yep. With Alfred again, they have a little bit of fun banter. Every banter between them in this movie is good. He was presumed dead because he was gone for seven years. Or right. Whatever. Yeah, so Alfred picks him up. Yeah. And Deadass just picks him up from an airport. And he's like really excited to see him. You can tell Alfred's very much his father figure, as he is in most of these adaptations of Batman. And Bruce kind of explains to him what we already know. <sighs> yeah, he explained to Bruce what we already know is that he wants to become Batman. He yeah, wants yeah. to strike fear into these criminals, use that against them, and clean up Gotham streets. And Michael Caine's like, uh, okay. Is that what you want to do? <laughs> if that's how you truly feel about it, then. <laughs> all right. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, all right. Okay. <laughs> I don't even remember what song I'm referencing. Is it Earl? Yeah, it's Earl. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so we see uh, he goes to Wayne Industries, which he has not been to in, in a long time. Right, surprises the whole panel. Uh, by the way, Rudger Hauer is the head of Wayne Enterprises. Isn't that weird? Uh, I like Rudger Hauer a lot. He doesn't appear in enough stuff. I mean, he's dead now, right. so he's not going to appear in anything. Sorry. Rest, Rest in, in peace. <sighs> Like tears and rain. It's great, great in Blade Runner, and obviously I feel like there's a connection there because they were inspired, right, by the set design. So yeah, getting I think Rutger so Hauer's cool. Um, I, his character isn't in the movie a whole lot though. It's fun when he's on screen. So Wayne wants basically a job, because uh, this is his company, and he just wants like a low key position, but really he just wants to meet Lucius Fox right. and talk to him. This is Morgan Freeman, of course. I love this role. Oh, it's fantastic. I love Lucius Fox. Uh, Morgan Freeman does a great job in hammering it home, but I like that he has like an R&D department. Um, yeah, it's awesome. He needs that. Like, It only makes sense for Batman to have somebody who supplies him with all the toys. Right. Uh, and he does. And he's just like, hey, as far as I'm concerned, this is all yours anyway. You know, you don't have to, like, treat me like an idiot. 
and be like, oh, yeah, I'm going spelunking. And he's like, all right, fair enough. Yep. Uh, but they still have that, like, funny rapport and that continues into the Dark Knight. He's Bruce like, is like, yeah, I'm going mountain biking. <laughs> Give me a tank. <laughs> right. Uh, but I like it. It's a more realistic interpretation of where he gets all his shit. Yeah. Um, they order the bat suit stuff, the the heads and uh, the little batarangs, all that shit. Mm-hmm. And he is Batman. Yep. It's time. Yep. The first time he does anything, he has more like the ski mask look, and that's yeah. just to talk to Commissioner Gordon. Right. Uh, obviously, the man played by Gary Oldman. This is best Gordon in the films. Absolutely. Bar none. Absolutely. Not, there's not even a comparison. The one in the Burton and Schumacher films sucks ass uh-huh. compared to this Commissioner Gordon. Gary Oldman. He was going to play Ra's al Ghul, but uh, when actor Chris Cooper turned down the role of Gordon... Nolan decided to switch Oldman in for Gordon, as he felt it would be a good change of pace for the actor, usually known for playing villains at the time. Yeah. Uh, Oldman's Gordon was largely based on Frank Miller and Dave Mazzucchelli's take on the character from Batman Year One. You You can can tell. tell. Mm -hmm. It literally looks like the drawings of Gordon from that comic. Right. Um, It's a good thing, too, because Gordon's been lame as hell in these movies until now. Yeah, and that's the best, one of the best interpretations of Gordon, period, is in Year One. Yeah, he doesn't nearly get to be as badass as he got to be in year one in this, but damn, it's good. It's still good. He feels capable and like a good character, at least. Yeah. Doesn't get a lot of opportunity to do stuff in this movie. I think The Dark Knight does a better job as far as that goes. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's just a lot of the movie is just him kind of like figuring out who the fuck Batman is and if he can trust him or not. Yes. And the end of the movie finally makes him realize that he can trust Batman. Yeah. And so should everybody else, but they don't. But, uh... Bruce goes with the ski mask look from Mask of the Phantasm yep. and uh, just basically introduces himself to him before going off into the night. Then his next mission is a real one where he uh, gets the full Batman suit and attacks a deal of some sort going down in some shipping containers. Yeah, and stuff. so it's a uh, it's a sh- it's a you know shipping container from a boat coming in for Falcone. <sighs> Classic trope. Yep, and <laughs> the then deal's going down in the shipping container yard. Right, he's got, like, a shit ton of drugs amongst these shipping containers. Yes. Is the idea, and they're going to get shipped into Gotham. So Batman does, does the big show up and stops him. Uh-huh. We got uh, Gordon's partner here, who is a crooked-as-fuck cop. Yeah. Played by Mark Boone Jr., uh, who you can see in Sons of Anarchy and every, an episode of The Mandalorian recently. He's in a lot of shit, because yeah. he always plays the same kind of character. It's just a dickbag? Yeah, uh, he's good at it. He's solid. Solid dickbag. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, uh, he's basically playing your kind of like archetype shit cop. I'm trying to think of Harvey Bullock. Yeah. From the animated series. But, yep. like, I don't know. For some reason, they named him Arnold Flass. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but whatever. It doesn't really matter. He's not a huge part of the movie. It's just like, you know, your general sense that there's widespread police corruption. So, Falcone there, though. And, man, Batman takes all of them out, and I love the way this shit is filmed. Yeah. Because it is filmed more like a horror movie than anything else. Yep, you gotta get very minor glimpses of Batman just, like, grabbing these people and, like... And then then they're fucking gone. Yep. Full, whoa, where'd they go? Where'd Jimmy go? Blah. One of the the more fun scenes would be a guy who's really nervous walking around with a gun. 
And then he puts his back to wall and screams, where are you? And then Babbitt just shows him and goes, here. Yes. And then pulls him off into the, into the shadows. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This interpretation of Batman is super important to the character in general. Because it eventually is the Arkham games and how you do Predator missions and those. Where you just take guys out slowly one by one without them noticing. Without everybody else noticing. And then there's only one guy left, and he is scared as shit. Right. <laughs> and you take that guy out. And that's so classic and embedded in my head as what Batman is in my brain now. Yeah. And it's all thanks to this. 100%. This scene. One of the best scenes in the movie, for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So he took out Falcone, and he's, you know, caught with a drug deal going on. Yeah, so he's arrested. Get the nice little imagery of... uh. Oh yeah, he gets tied Falcone, to like, yeah. a bat yeah. symbol, but like before the it's it's just a spotlight, right? Uh, it but it's it part like of like the idea for later for Gordon. I'm assuming, right? Is that what yeah. they're saying here? Yeah, I think that's what it is. <sighs> Even little things like this pay off later in the movie. They bring up something just to have it pay off later. Like you know, they bring up the train system that the Waynes developed, and that's a big plot point later. They bring up this stolen equipment from Wayne Enterprises and what it can do, and then that pays off later. This is how you write a screenplay. What? Uh, <laughs> it's this ancient art that people have maybe forgot about. It's how you write a screenplay for something called a movie. Yeah. <laughs> I'm being overly cynical. But, uh, yeah. So, Batman makes the papers and the cops are like, fuck Batman, we gotta get him. By the way, shout out to the name of the commissioner, Commissioner Loeb. Like Jeff Loeb. Yep. The uh, writer of Long Halloween. And a million other things. Like Ultimates 3. Don't read that. No. Anyway. <laughs> um, God, no. Hey, it happens. Oh, Ultimatum, actually, is the worst one. Ultimatum oh, yeah, absolutely. Is, uh, Ultimatum is, like, one of the worst comics I've ever read. <laughs> it's terrible. Oh, man. F- hey, everybody, every- everybody's wrong once. It happens. Yeah, it's hard to be that Unless wrong, you're Frank right? Miller, then you're just wrong, like, a lot after right. being correct all the time. Yeah. I don't know how that works. Yeah. Uh, I, I believe we were introduced to Scarecrow already, but we're kind of jumping in and around. Jonathan Crane, played by Cillian Murphy. So Murphy and Nolan wanted to make the character less theatrical, and less like an actual fucking walking scarecrow than the comic interpretation. And I think that was smart. I like the look of scarecrow. It's very simplistic. It's literally just potato sack on head. Yep. Suit. Just Murphy. Sorry. Jonathan Crane just pulls it out of his bag whenever he needs it. Yep. And it's just, it's the gas that makes the character more than anything else. So yeah, we just get this sense that he uh, is kind of a, Incredibly unconventional, crooked doctor. Yes. For Arkham Asylum, who uh, has been interviewing patients using this fear toxin ability, and he does the same thing to Carmine Falcone here. Yes. Even though he was working for him possibly previously, but now he has more of an upper hand. But Falcone alludes to the fact that somebody bigger is coming to Gotham, that has been planning to come there for some time. So now our main villain is probably the Scarecrow Yes. at this point in time because he drives Falcone mad and now he's going to be transferred to Arkham Asylum. So, um, what do you think about the Scarecrow effects 
Uh, the fear toxin. They're not bad, for, especially for the time. I think they're used so sparingly that it's not super jarring when right. it's like these bad CGI moments. I think in general they avoided CGI in this movie whenever possible, which was good. It makes the movie age incredibly well for me. Uh, yeah, there's only a couple moments during like these scarecrow scenes that are look kind of weird. The maggots coming out of his mask yeah. and things like that look like not great, but like... It's still brief enough and quick enough that it's fine. Right. I, I like that the fear was used sparingly. Yeah, me as too. As opposed to whatever their original ideas for Scarecrow were going to be, where, like, Batman has a massive hallucination and sees the Joker all the time or some bullshit. Right. Like, that would have been probably a little much. That would have been way too I, much. I like this really subdued Scarecrow. I wish he was in the movie more, though, because I like him a lot. Yeah, he like... And then he kind of just falls flat by the end of the movie. When he gets, like, massively disrespected for the last time he's off screen, too, but it's, like, really funny. <laughs> it's funny, but, like, you know, I, I wish they did more with him. Yeah. Uh, but he does show up in the other two movies as well, very briefly. Mm -hmm. I like that he at least gets a little cameo. He's, like, a motif of the three movies. Yeah. So, he's cool. He has this plan to, uh, I guess, poison the water supply with the fear toxin. What Scarecrow is doing, he's getting in all these imports of that toxin from, at the time we don't know who, but we know it was... Raz Al Ghul. Taken guy. Yes, from Taken, the movie Taken. Right. Taken, Taken 2. Have you ever seen the movie, the one Taken? No. Are we going to put Taken on the wheel? Is this what you want? No. Why do you keep talking about it, then? Liam I think you taken. want it to be on the wheel. I feel like you're suggesting Liam, this. Liam Neeson wasn't taken. What? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like you're suggesting we put Taken on the wheel and watch the three Taken, the Taken trilogy. Taken trilogy. Yeah. But yeah, jumps so you, over the fence. Ten minutes. Keeps jumping over that fence. Keeps cutting thirty times <laughs> every minute. So. We find out that this is what they're up to. They're dumping all this toxin into the water supply. But it doesn't technically do anything because we find out that that fear gas only works when it's gassed at somebody. And then you pretty quickly put together that in a little bit of a throwaway scene right after this, we know it, it's to set up the, what we would know before the movie actually tells us what's happening. Uh-huh. Uh, that a super secret experimental weapon yeah. from Wayne Industries goes missing off a boat. And that, that super serious weapon is one that vaporizes an entire water supply? Yeah. And it's, like, really dangerous. Yeah, so the gas itself doesn't do anything to the water. Right, but once but when you actually turn into a gas, it works just fine. Yep. So the plan is to run this gas through the entire water line and then use that device to turn it all into gas and hit everybody in Gotham with that shit. Right. But then that would only do the narrows, and then they would have to use the train to take it to the rest of Gotham. Yeah. All right. So anyway, Batman wants to find out where the other drugs were going, because some of the drugs went somewhere else, and it was the fear toxin shit. Right. So he threatens Flass in a great scene where uh, one of, I think my favorite line in the movie is said, where... Flash is like, that's all I know, I swear to God. And Batman says, swear to me! <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> and then drops him. And then drops him. And, and he keeps threatening this man uh, very effectively. 
because he's a spineless, uh, crooked cop man. Yeah, he's a little bitch. Who wants nothing but to steal money from the falafel vendor. Little bitch. Uh, <laughs> like, so, with this information, Batman goes to confront the Scarecrow. Yes. But uh, does not succeed. Scarecrow uses the fear toxin on Batman, and he is not expecting that. And then Crane lights him on fire. And throws him out the window. That was dope. <laughs> it's it's such a high note for Scarecrow to be this imposing, but then it, he's not later. <laughs> he's just not. Um, but that's fine. Scarecrow's not a physically imposing character anyway. Uh, no, not at all. No. Entire ideas was just to gas people up. Uh huh. Make them go. Oh no. So yeah, all that knocks Bruce out really bad. Yeah, and then Bruce. he has like all these scenes where he's like seeing his like you know his childhood trauma. Yeah, and uh, his parents dying and the bats and all that shit, and he's like, oh, Alfred, pick me up, and then he fucking sleeps for two days. Yeah, apparently after Yikes, the first day. Yikes. Yeah, apparently after the first day, his condition got really bad. But Fox came over and developed the toxin, developed the antidote because he's a man. He's yes. the man. Yeah, the smart guy. Yeah. He has two copies of this antidote or something like that. Yeah, it was maybe a, total a couple. Of, it was a total of three. One, yes. one that was already used yes. on him, and then he had two spares. I think so. Yeah, that, that, that's how that went. So, it's Bruce Wayne's birthday, by the way, and uh, the rest of the movie happens on this day. Which is kind of yeah. crazy. It's very fast-paced from this moment on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is where like, the rest of it just kind of comes together. So... Rachel is looking into uh, Crane. Yeah. Because she's like, you're not just taking Falcone, because he's like transferring him to Arkham under his care. Basically, so nobody can get any information about out of Falcone. That's that's the idea. And Rachel is like, well, fuck you, no. I'm not, I'm not proving this. I need another doctor to do another assessment. And he's like, all right, well, let me show you something. And then takes her to the basement where he's making the drugs. And then pumps her full of the drugs and she is there and she's in trouble. She's probably going to die. She's poisoned a lethal amount of the drug. And then Batman shows up to Crane's hideout or whatever that is. Is it Arkham Asylum? Yeah, it's Arkham Asylum. I guess so. Um, It's just at the bottom of it. Yeah, okay. So, Batman shows up to save her yeah. And he takes out everybody there because he's Batman. Does it very well because mm-hmm. he's Batman. Um, Crane tries to do something to him, but he just grabs his hand and says, how about a taste of your own medicine, Crane, and sprays the medicine on Crane. So, yeah, just like that, Scarecrow's ineffective now as right. a villain in this film. Um, and I love this effect mainly because it's not entirely CGI as you would have expected. The nightmare Batman that Scarecrow sees... The creepy Batman with a demon face yeah. was a real head sculpt they made. Oh, that's cool. And you can see footage of it if you look it up. Uh, shit looks cool. Now, obviously, they animated it moving and shit and, like, pulsating and things like that. But, yeah. Uh, that's to be expected because that's consistent with all the fear effects in this movie. So, Crane is uh really... You know, scared, <laughs> having a taste of his own medicine. Yeah, here. it's got and him all messed up. He's put in Arkham Asylum himself, uh, at least presumably later. Well, we see him there eventually. 
but anyway, the cops are coming because Crane called the cops beforehand because, you know, fuck it. Batman is wanted by the police. Yep. So if they if they show up, they'll they'll take care of Batman for us. And uh, they don't do a very good job of that at all because Batman just hits this sonar button on his shoe and calls in a shitload of bats. Yep, that's it. And they basically take out that SWAT team. It is so funny the way this looks. <laughs> well, all the bats are CGI, which makes yeah. sense because there's so many of them. Right, it makes sense. It's an old movie, whatever. They're not going to train bats. <laughs> like, <laughs> it would be hard to do. Yeah. Like, the, the weird, like, gloating and shit at the end of it. Uh-huh. It's, like, kind of, like, weird, I don't know. It's it's a gadget that probably can't exist in no. real life, and therefore it sticks out like a sore thumb in this movie. Yeah. That's... That he just summons a million bats via sonar to just fuck with the cops. But goddamn it, if it's not fun and cool, yeah, just, I, I like, like all the bats crashing through the windows. Yeah, it, 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 at that point, it's, it's like the movie gloating. It's like kind of what I'm getting at. You know, I'm, I'm kind of okay with it. Yeah, why not? Fuck it. Like have your fun. And he picks up Rachel and is uh, takes her to uh, somewhere. Oh no, he, Gordon comes in, and he has Gordon take her to an, an alley because he can help her, but the cops probably can't because right. he, he needs to do it quick. And Gordon trusts him, I guess, enough to do this. So Batman shows up with his car. It's the Batmobile. It's the Tumbler. Yay. This scene is fucking incredible. I love the Tumbler so much. This is, yeah, this is one of the strongest scenes in the whole film. Just fucking getting past everything with ease. Taking out cops, chasing them without any problem. Batman probably kills a lot of people in this scene if you think about it realistically. Oh, yeah. But fuck it. Don't think about it realistically. Don't, it's don't fun. It. Yeah. It's fun. So he's trying to get uh so he's trying to get Rachel taken back and he's getting trying to get stopped by the cops the whole time and this tumbler's just running through him. Then there's yeah. a couple jokes where like he's driving a black uh a tank. <laughs> yeah, the cops don't know what to think about this. <coughs> it's all over the news and television and shit. And eventually, he shakes the cops, gets down to go to the Batcave, and you notice Rachel's passing out, and you go, and you get the iconic, Rachel! <laughs> right before he drives into the Batcave. By the way, apparently the shot of them driving this via a jump through that waterfall is real, which oh, blows shit. my mind. That's dope. They actually did that. Congrats to those stuntmen. That's dope. Hope they could see. That was probably scary. They probably couldn't see. <laughs> Because a lot of the they had to, they uh, did a lot of trickery with the Batmobile to get all of this working properly because that wasn't necessarily a street legal vehicle. Eh? Nope. But uh, you know what are you gonna do? Shit's cool though. Shit's really cool. Oh, it's super. Dumb. I like this interpretation of the Batmobile as a big ass tank that nobody can do a damn thing about. It's great. Fuck it. It's a lot of fun. So he gets he's right all back, <laughs> and uh, she she wakes up after he administers the antidote. Yep. To to the haha, the haha juice, and no, the haha juice. Sorry, the the ah ah juice. <laughs> Fear toxin. Yeah. Not haha. I'm I, I meant I meant ah ah like ah, but then I'm tired and I said it wrong. Yeah, I noticed. All right. Anyway. Yay! Recording at one thirty a.m. Hey, it happens. What are you gonna do? So, so after after he takes out the spooky serum. From her body. Yeah. she's She gotta go sleep for, like, but ever. She, yeah, but he, yeah. he lets her know first, like, hey, that she wakes up first. 
for a bit, if I remember correctly. Well, he puts her back asleep. Right. Because yeah. they have to take her out of the back cave. Yeah, yeah. So she wakes up in the back cave and he's like, they talk for a little bit and he's like, hey, there's two more of this, this antidote. You need to give one to Gordon. Right. Give one to Gordon, get the other sent out for mass production. Yes. Because and, this is going to get way worse. Right. Uh, so him and Alfred have a bit of an argument about how far he's taking this Batman thing. Yeah. Which, like, I kind of get, but I kind of don't get at the same time. Because Alfred seems upset about the massive fucking police... Uh, destruction <laughs> that was going on. What well, he's upset about is he Bruce didn't... Bruce refers to his damn good television. Which is funny. Uh, it's funny as shit. Because it's all over the news. Um, you know, what It seems like in this scene, what Alfred's worried about is that Bruce will... Uh, is, is losing his humanity. Well, I guess he is in a way. He already lost it. Yeah, sure. Um, I don't know. I the think he was trying to save Rachel, so it was like, fine. Yeah. But then Alfred even says that, like, you can't be, like, just trying to save singular people. Right. That, like, are only important to you. <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> he, I guess, he, is his point. Well, he brings up the thing that everybody's like in these goddamn movies, where he's like, how many people did you fucking hurt to do that? He's like, I don't know, it's Rachel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's like, mean, And it's like, yeah, we, we want to know too, Alfred. <sighs> Look, man, fuck the cops. <laughs> So anyway, same day. All right, time still, for your party. Still same day. Time for your party. Go to the party. Oh, Bruce, there's someone I'd like you to meet. It's Ra's al Ghul. A piece there. Not really Ra's al Ghul. Other decoy Ra's al Ghul. Yeah. Decoy Ra's al Ghul number two. But then Ducard shows up and he's like, oh shit, Liam Neeson from Taken. Uh, Can I have your autograph, buddy? <laughs> I really like the one where you jumped over the fence and it cut 45 times. And he uh, puts together that he is still alive, and also he is Ra's al Ghul. He has been the whole time. Yeah. Um, and they initiate their plan, and he's like, well, all these other people are going to die because we're about to set this building on fire. He's like, well, let me get him out of here. Then Bruce makes... He's this- like, it will not matter, but he does it anyway. Right. And he Bruce makes like a bit of an ass out of himself and kicks everybody out. Right. Uh, which is in character. I really like the interpretation of Bruce Wayne as the mask in this trilogy. Yeah. Um, they hammer on the him acting as an asshole as Bruce Wayne quite well. I love it. Yeah, it's like it's not actually him. <laughs> him going out on a date with like two European models and swimming in the pool at the hotel they go to. That, right. In the middle of a restaurant, you know, because rich person. Whatever. Right. It's the mask. <laughs> And uh, so he gets all those people out of there, and then they uh, burn down that whole fucking Wayne Manor and yep. reveal their master plan a little bit to uh, take out Gotham because it's too shitty of a place to exist. And then also reveals it like, hey, and then taking guys like, hey, we tried this once, and then your goddamn parents stopped. Oh. Even hammering home uh, the point further that they were gods among men, and it was a terrible tragedy that they died. Right. Um, Just, (laughs) they do a decent job of it, but like, yeah, they paint them as saints, like, to a hammy degree. Right. In this movie. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so they pour gasoline all over the place to set the place on fire. Uh, They... Taking guy, the shit out of Bruce. Yeah, taking guy fights Bruce for a little bit, but like, he's the guy from Taken, so he. I I got it. Yeah, he pins Bruce. 
underneath a burning log and uh-huh. leaves, him, leaves him for dead. So ah, it wasn't for Alfred coming back from dropping off Rachel, uh, getting into that building and saving Bruce, Bruce would be dead. Um, so they're able to get in the secret passageway. Yeah, right before everything just gets and consumed. And get in the Batcave. Yep. And then Batman suits up to go stop this bullshit. Uh-huh. And then you get a cut out to the streets where this, this shit starts happening. Um, the doors to Arkham Asylum get opened. All Someone of the gives Crane his mask and says, "Time to play." I think. Yeah. Yeah. And then all the it's crazy a cop, motherfuckers by the get way, out. Yeah. The the League of Shadows reach extends far. Yeah, so they got a bunch of cops and SWAT team members on their side. Yeah. And so once as these as these criminals are getting out, Gordon calls for the bridges leading out to the other parts of Gotham to be closed. To keep all the criminals contained into one area. But not before the entire League of Shadows gets in there with their technology. Uh-huh. Which is that device that's going to send all this water that's in the supply into vapor. And fuck everybody. And, uh, their plan's going off. Yeah. To, like, little to no resistance. Cops can't do anything about it. They're just, like, spread thin and now going crazy. You see Flass about to shoot some kids and shit like that. Right. Uh, Because they were suffering under the fear toxin effects. Uh, But thankfully, that Batman shows up. So that's cool. Jumps over the bridge with the Batmobile. Yeah, that's tight. (laughs) Gives Gordon the keys and is like, hey, I need you to take out this bridge support or whatever. The the support for the train, maybe. Yeah. And I'm going to go stop them and get on that train later. Uh, On the way, he saves... Rachel and this kid from earlier that Batman saved. Uh, by the way, that kid is played by Jack Gleason, who played Joffrey on Game yep, of Thrones. Sure is one of weird. his early roles. Uh, who he's like semi-retired from acting now. It's kind of oh, yeah. interesting. Huh. Yeah, he decided to just go back to school after he was done with Game of Thrones and just like you know, hey man, live a uh, little live a little low key. Each their own. Yeah, yeah, hey, I don't blame him. But anyway, I just thought it was cool. Yeah. Oh, Scarecrow gets fucked off in this movie in, like, a yeah, hilarious the, way. Like, like, they build him up so much, like, in this moment. Because he's on a horse, and he has the fear toxin, and the horse breathes fire. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's metal. <laughs> and then Rachel just tases him in the face. It's so funny. And he just goes like, ah! And then he just runs away. It's so fucking funny. <laughs> it, it, it's just... What that is just displayed to show you how much he relies on that stuff. Yes. And so that, that, that Rachel, like, didn't... Had the antidote in her, coursing through her veins still. She just said, fuck you, and tased his face. No, it's I really like that. Funny. I like that some Batman villains aren't, like, you know, things that you would think of as boss fights. Right. You can take out Scarecrow in one punch. Right. If you're Batman. Yeah. Uh... You know, that even happens in the games a little bit. Like, if you ever have to, like, fight Penguin, you just, like, hit X. Right. And he dies. <laughs> like, like that's it's that easy. Right. But something not. like Solomon Grundy or Killer Croc or Clayface would be a big ordeal of a right. fight. Yep. I get that. That's cool. So Scarecrow is not that at all. No. <laughs> I, I get it. I thought it was really um, funny. But, yeah, they sure, they sure uh, write him out of the movie real easy here. Yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> We go get to our main focus, which is uh, Russell Gould. Uh, the villain. Yeah, taking on, take, getting on this train. Well, Batman saves Rachel first, and right. then she's like, "Wait, you could die. Who are you?" And he says the line that Rachel says earlier, which and is, "She's like, Ruth. It's it's not it's not about what I am, who I am underneath, but what I do that defines me." Uh, and she's like, "Bruce, yes, Bruce." 
Oh, God. So he goes and stops Razagul. Uh, also hands Gordon the keys to the tumbler. Yeah, like, I said that. Yeah. Yeah, do you know how to drive stick? It's like, it's good. Oh, my God. It's yeah, good. Man. I do like the random dude that approaches him, even though this city's apparently going insane at the moment. But this dude just randomly approaches the Batmobile and goes, like, that's a nice ride, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Uh,. And then you got Batman uh, manages to grapple over to the uh, to the train, but he's getting knocked around like a motherfucker as Gordon he is sure racing is. to get to the city hall. Uh-huh. To get to Wayne Tower, actually, is where he's going. And, yeah, Batman's just getting fucked. He's running through boxes, getting slammed around. And finally, he gets his opening to crash into the train, uh-huh. into the window of the train to confront Ra's al Ghul. Uh, al Ghul. Yeah, you wanted to say take it, man, didn't you? I almost did, yeah. Fucking piece of shit. I, I gotta say it. I gotta say his actual character name eventually. It's Raz Al Ghul or Raish Al Ghul or Raz Al Ghul. Yeah, see, I never know which one to say. Either, that <laughs> that always movie, throws me off. The movie fucks it up. Actually, there's a couple instances where they don't say Raz; they say Raz. They, they can't figure it out. Nobody can figure it out. So whatever. It Who depends. Cares? In the Arkham games, it's Raish. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know what's the correct saying. Yeah, nobody knows. Yeah. That's why it's tomato, different every tomato, time. Tomato, race, rash, race, raz a ghoul. Taking guy. Ghoulie ghoul. Grab by the ghoulies? <laughs> grab by no. The, grab by the ghoulies all ghoul? Oh, that sucks. Don't bring that up. Anyway, <laughs> so like, yeah, this is kind of like a way shorter fight scene than you would expect. Yeah, it's fun. Because he just like beats him up a bit. And then, like, you know, William Neeson's like, ah, you didn't learn much else. <laughs> but then, like, Gordon finishes blowing up the, the train stuff. So Batman just goes, like, later. Yeah, <laughs> and then just pieces the fuck out. You know, I, you know I'm not going to kill you, but I don't have to save you. And just pieces out from the train. So he doesn't really best him in a physical fight. No. Because he probably couldn't. No. He just bails and lets him fucking die in this train crash that happens. Big giant explosion, by the way. Yeah. Ra's al Ghul is decidedly not immortal in this universe because he fucking dies. Here. Yeah. But I like that they alluded to that comic book trope a little bit. Mm-hmm. Where, uh, you know, just talked a bit about how the League of Shadows is immortal. Right. So there's still that element of it. More about ideas... Than actually legitimately yeah. being immortal. Which is kind of a running theme of this whole trilogy. Ideas and symbols and things. Yeah, yeah I like that interpretation of this a lot. Becoming a symbol. Mm-hmm. And uh, that continues on into the Dark Knight as well in a yeah. very interesting fashion. Oh, yeah. So we get our final two scenes here. We got Bruce, like, kind of like, you know, gazing over the rubble of his once home. Rachel shows up. They. Kiss, but she's like, I can't be with you. You're Batman. You're not Bruce Wayne anymore. I, like, I love Bruce Wayne, not Batman. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, and he's just like... And it's so funny, because he's just like, yeah, fair. <laughs> and then, like... <laughs> and then she's like, bye. I'm going to go turn into Maggie Gyllenhaal off screen. And then she leaves. <laughs> Peace. And, uh, you know, we get, like, a brief scene with Alfred. And it's like, you know, we're going to rebuild it. Exactly the way it was. I guess to honor his parents. Yeah. Um, which, you know, makes sense. 
Uh, crazy that in the first movie in this new Batman era, they blew up Wayne Mayer. It's dope. <laughs> Took him until the third movie to do that for the, the other ones. <laughs> they give a fuck. And Riddler dude. and Two-Face did it. It worked out for them, I think. Yeah, I think it, it's cool. It really raised the stakes quite a bit mm-hmm. early on. Yeah. That way, like, when the stuff hits the fan in the Dark Knight, it's even, like, crazier. Right. Um, so, our brief stinger at the end, Gordon uh, shines the bat symbol for the first time, and he shows up, and he... Uh, I really like what he says here, and it explains the Joker's existence really well. Better than I've ever heard it explained. Because you have that age-old argument of, like, you know, oh, the Joker only exists because Batman exists. If Batman didn't exist, the Joker wouldn't show up. And they lean into that a bit, but it's in a way more realistic fashion that doesn't necessarily blame Batman. Yeah. Because he's like, if, you know, if we, like, referring to the cops, have semi-automatics, the bad guys are going to have automatics. If we have Kevlar vests, they're going to start buying armor-piercing rounds. So you show up. And then there's this guy, and he shows him the Joker's calling card, you know. So, like, this theatrical bad guy shows up to challenge the theatrical good guy that showed up. It's such a nice, nuanced, good way to bring about that concept, and it's just just for the stinger for the next film. Yeah, it's great. I loved it. (laughs) I love when when, uh, when Batman shows up, he just, like, he, like, knocks on the bat signal. It's so funny. (laughs) Yeah. What's this shit? <laughs> uh, and that was Batman Begins. And oh, it is a masterpiece. Nice uh, final line before he shows him the calling card. Yes. And Gordon's like, I still have a chance to thank you. And you never will have to. Yeah, yeah the Batman's like, you never, you'll never have to. It's cool. It's like, oh, yeah, that's All dope. these movies end the same way, by the way. There is no credits. There is no titles. At the opening of the film. Yeah. They wait until the very end, and then the score swells, and then it cuts to dark screen, then the title of the film, and then they play the score. Yeah. Uh, for every one of these movies, and uh-huh. it's the same way. It's super cool, actually. Oh, I love great. how consistently good these three movies are. However. <laughs> yeah, there is some shit. I think it's possible that this one has the least amount of problems compared to the other two. Yep. Particularly compared to the third one. But we'll get to that. Um, I think the uh, I think the composition of the film overall is, like, uh, amazing. I think uh, just the dialogue and, like, the banter that's in this movie, the script writing coming from somebody you wouldn't expect to write a good script. No, not at all. Puts out a great script. I'm sure there was a lot of help for, from Nolan himself, mm-hmm. too. Oh, yeah. He usually crafts a great film. And then just like kind of uh, like, even the worst Nolan films are still pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the worst Nolan film? Like Interstellar, probably. Yeah, that's still pretty fucking good for yeah. a worst film. Oh yeah, in your catalog. I like Interstellar. It's yeah, it gets a little wonky at the end, but it's still pretty good and has mm-hmm. some pretty good performances in it. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. This this movie, I think, is overall like the best complete package for a Batman film. Yeah. It's a really refreshing take cinematically for Batman. Yeah, I and it's agree. A big fucking deal. It was a really refreshing take cinematically for comic book films in general. Right. It changed everything. It's probably going to go down as one of the most important movies ever made because of that. Yeah. Maybe The Dark Knight will get more of that credit because, you know, this one 
was a huge success. You know, hey, it grossed $371.8 million on a $150 million budget and was a hit with critics and fans, 84% on Rotten Tomatoes, but that is nowhere near the praise and bank that The Dark Knight makes a few years down the line. Yeah. So that, too, is going to be credited as one of the most important movies ever made in terms of how the popular films go. Right. At least. Yeah. But, yeah. So, looking at our current ranking, mm-hmm. I'm I, I, I'm feeling like you're going to say this is number one. I do want to put it at number one really bad. I think it is better than Mask of the Phantasm. Our current number one is Mask of the Phantasm. Yeah, I do think it's better than Mask of the Phantasm. Uh, it's, Mask of the Phantasm is great, okay? But it it's is. not even the best Batman animated series story. I don't know. It's my favorite, I think. Really? It's your favorite, like, Batman anime series thing? Yes, it is. I, I think the uh, the Joker's on point more than he's ever been in that movie. He is. And he's used more sparingly than you would expect. He's kind of just in the last half hour, really, or second half. Uh, and I really love the Phantasm itself idea. Yeah, I, I just I don't know. I think that the surrounding character behind her is a little weak at times. No, I like the idea. I, I've always liked the idea of another vigilante who is more vengeful than him, who kills people. Yeah. And I like that they play with that by having them romantically involved in the past. And I like a lot of the past Batman origin stuff in that movie as well. I think both of these movies are both truly excellent in pretty different ways. Yeah. Um, but I think I'm going to give it to you. I think I'm going to let Batman Begins be number one. Hell yeah. Because it is probably the best pure Batman movie. I think so. To ever exist. Yeah. Uh, it shows you everything you need to know about the character. It does so with style. It does so with well-written Good, snappy, sometimes funny dialogue. It's well-written. It's well-directed. Some of the action isn't the greatest. It has that, you know, mid-2000s era shaky cam bullshit that, you know, was kind of popular. Yeah, that's more of a product of the time than anything else. Yeah, but I can't really fault it for that too much because that's not necessarily why I'm coming to this movie, which is kind of a crazy thing to say. And it's not even in it that much. There's not that much, like, raw fighting in this movie. No, there doesn't have to be because it's more about the story for the first time ever. Right. It actually has a really good story to tell about fucking Batman uh, in film, which is cool. Yeah. Uh, It pulls it off really well. And it's aged tremendously well for a movie from 2005. I think so, yeah. Uh, You can't say that about, you know, even shit like... Spider-Man 3, for sure, (laughs) that came out after this. Like, that was, like, this changed stuff so bad that when Spider-Man 3 came out, everybody was like, this is shit. I think that that impacted it a bit. I remember being fucking captivated by this movie when it came out. Yeah. Like, we all, obviously, like, obviously, me me and my, me and my father and my brother, big, big comic book fans, and I was, I was what? It was 2005. So I was like, what, thirteen at the time? Yeah. So I was, I, I was a teenager. I was exactly the target audience Nolan was talking about, where like, and that, it, goddamn, he was right. It was the coolest fucking thing to me. Yeah, he was right. That it worked was on me too. Incredible to me. 
Like, even more so than The Dark Knight. Like, when when Batman Begins happened, I was blown the fuck away. I think I was more blown away by The Dark Knight when I was in early high school, whenever that movie I mean, hit. so was I. Like, it, it hit me, like, I think it hit me basically the same way that Begins did when it came out for me. Yeah. And where I was just like, God damn it, this is fucking incredible. I love this. And, like, I don't know, just, like, it, it kind of changed the way I view superhero movies. And, and everybody else, too, apparently. And that definitely helped why everybody hated Spider-Man 3. <laughs> I, I definitely yeah, think I that... Mean, Spider-Man 3 didn't need any help. To no, it was bad. already a bad but movie. Like, but... I, I'm just saying, like, it's that key, like, in superhero movies at the time, duality yeah. to look at. Like, you got Batman Begins, you got Spider-Man 3. Really? And everybody was like, well, fuck movies like this. We need movies like this. And then well, yeah. The Dark Knight came out and solidified that for all time. Right, it was like Nolan just trailblazing Yeah, in, in the realm of these kind of movies. So, like, that wasn't necessarily, you know, not everybody took the, oh, it has to be dark now approach, like things like Amazing Spider-Man did. Yeah. Uh, some people, like, you know, Marvel took the right approach. And we're like, all right, let's approach our characters realistically, but still be true to them. Yeah, and just craft really a well. good movie and made stuff like Iron Man. And that's exactly and what, now they're on top of the fucking world with mm, the MCU. That's exactly what Nolan did with with this trilogy. Yeah, it's just he wanted to make a more grounded version of that hero. That's all this was. And but the thing is, you're you're Batman dealing with the one you could do it with, right? And you're you're dealing with Batman and Gotham, so of course it's dark. And it's just so funny that all these filmmakers just, like, saw only the dark part. Yeah. When, like, the dark part is just a product of Batman. Right. I think if Nolan went and made a Superman movie, it wouldn't be that dark at all. Well, he kind of did. He didn't. <laughs> Zack Snyder made that movie. <laughs> I know. But he produced that movie. Yeah, and that's didn't. totally the... The pitch of Man of Steel was Batman Begins again, except it's Superman this right. time. Right, and then it didn't right? work. And no, it didn't work because Superman's a different character. Right, you don't use, you can't use that template. You have to use something completely different. No, but it's funny that it wraps back around on itself, and like his inspiration for this movie was fucking Superman. Right. From 78. Yeah. Uh, so, eh, maybe it's just Zack Snyder. It's probably just Zack Snyder. No way. <laughs> So next week we have the Dark Knight, the the big old apex of the entire. I say the entire Batman line of movies here. Yeah, this is the, the big, big one. one. Yeah, this is the big one, big cultural moment in like <sighs> film history at this point, at least for nerds. It's probably been a few years since I've watched it, but like you know, it's it's hard to avoid. Not ever. Uh, even just seeing stuff about the Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie. You see direct comparisons to Heath Ledger. Right. And people talk about it. Like, this movie has been such a phenomenon that now, like, fucking 11 years later, 12 years later, it was 2008. Yeah. Uh, the Joker is like a meme. The concept of the Joker is like a meme. It's just, we were at that point now. Yeah. Like, references to this movie are like a meme. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's fine. That's how you know you made something that's going to stand the test of time for sure. Oh, yeah, memes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, that's how you know. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> for better or worse, you know. Memes. Memes. I think we'll leave it at that. But, yeah, I'm uh, I'm, I'm very excited. Uh, 
this is this has been fun and it will continue to be fun until it is not right until after it's really not it'll be fun for rises and after that oh man bvs Ugh. suicide squad Ugh. oh no <laughs>